We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox Shot and the Get Down, White Sox, Dave, Kenny Carkeet, and Dante. Boys, it's spring. The weather's turning. Things are good, and we have an amazing interview today with Sam James. If you don't know Sam James, you may know him from The Voice. You've seen him all over Instagram and TikTok with his cover songs, but he has a new single out this week called Going Through with Moneybag Yo and No Cap. I mean, we got lucky this week because he happens to be like a childhood friend of Dante. He came on, gave us an amazing two-hour-long interview. Dave, you were there for what you think? Dude, the realest of the real. So in the text thread, uh, Dante's like kind of going through the spiel, and he's like, yo, we got Sam James coming on. And very common American white dude name, just so we got Sam James coming on. (laughs) I didn't put two and two together until like mid-interview who we were interviewing. So as soon as I like it clicked for me, I was like, holy fuck, it's that guy. Yep. That guy's awesome. He's fucking and great. Not man. only is, is he awesome going through it. I listened to it last night. We're recording Tuesday. I listened to it last night for the first time. Fucking fire. It is outstanding. It's really, it's really cool to see that dude. Like, cause we yeah. go through his whole journey. And there's a lot of really good, like, emotional moments in this where me and him are kind of going through our we almost have like kind of similar stories in a way. And there's a lot of conversations in there about the highs and the lows and kind of the imposter syndrome element of being a musician. It's a, it's a great goddamn interview, and, and I'm excited for everybody. And we're going to get into it in a minute. But uh, speaking of imposters, Kenny, how are you, buddy? Oh, you know, just uh, imposting, I guess. <laughs> I'm getting good on this side, just hanging, chilling, raging, ripping. Yeah, as always, dude. Uh, Dante's on a plane right now because we can never get this guy in one place at the same he's time. It's a fucking plane. It's fucking crazy. I can't believe it. But he was—he he was on he was, constantly. Yeah, constantly. Like I've done trips where I've gone like to New York, to Chicago, to New York, to Arizona, and back to Chicago in like a eight or nine day window. And I was like, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever. Done. It's hell. He does it constantly. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know how torn musicians do it, especially. They're just in a new city every fucking day. Yeah, but dealing I'd with, lose like, my mind. Dealing with commercial, like, airliners every day, the I blew my fucking brains out. In a band is because you're with, like, 12 of your best friends in the whole world and everybody's suffering together. <laughs> 100%. And Dante's a yeah. fucking workaholic, dude. He's a monster. Uh, but Dante was really cool in this interview, too, because they get, like, background story on, like, they're from Worcester, like which is like part of Boston, I guess. I'm not that familiar with New England, but they're from the same town. They went to high school together and shit. So like you get inside stories about the shit Dante used to do back in high school. So it's a great interview. We have a lot to talk about with music news. Uh, I just had a show this past week. We'll get into that. And then we have some other stuff to go through. But let's jump right into our interview with Sam James. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, you may know him from The Voice. You may know him from TikTok or your Instagram Discover page. He has his debut single coming out with Moneybag Yo and No Cap, produced by Internet Money, which I do want to get into. We have Sam James on the podcast. Sam, how are you, buddy? Okay. All right. I like it. I like it. You know, this is the first, my first intro. That was my first, like... Uh, podcast intro ever in history. So thank God I'm so fucking good at it, dude. This is gonna be an I easy mean, conversation. Colin, you crushed it. Uh, I'm great, man. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be here. I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate Barstool. Like, I mean, Dante is my guy. We've known each other since we were little kids. So 
Dude, What's long, long time now. Long time now. Uh, I used to, I tell everybody, uh, Sam, so Sam was best friends with my best friend's little brother. And I think we were two years apart, three years apart. Yeah, three, three years. But we fucking worshipped Dante. Like, we <laughs> worshipped. It was sick. I, I don't want to fucking inflate this guy's ego more than it already is in life because oh, I... On. Come on. He's like one of the greatest guys, but literally let me tell you, like we all like worship Dante because Dante was a DJ, which we didn't even know what the fuck that was <laughs> like then at all. None of us had ever been to a club. You know, we were like 13 years old and Dante was like making mixtapes and he would hand them out to like everybody at school. Like we used to burn CDs, right? Dude, on the Tierney's, like, compact Presario. Yeah. The thing would be fucking smoking. It would be so hot. It was so, it was so sick. Like, so he would hand out CDs. And, of course, like, we were not, like, like cool enough to get the CD. So we would always have to steal them <laughs> from, like, our older brothers. And so Dante was, like, he was, like, the first, like, guerrilla marketing, like, I ever saw in my life. And he would DJ, like, all the dances. And, like, yo, let me just tell you. Those dances were lit. They were, they were, Dante, were they not? They were pretty lit. Dante's class was so bad. Yeah. This is is a true story. At our high school, Dante's class was so bad that they ruined everything for every other class (laughs) that followed. As soon as his class graduated, they had to like, they brought in like a whole new regime of like Gestapo to like, to fucking dictate what could go on because they were so horrible. They would like go to hockey games and throw squids on the ice (laughs) They would like. They would literally show up and just like drink Bacardi Limon and Sprite. Like, Dude, we drank. We we drank more in high school than, like, I did in college. And, and I'm not trying to sound like a badass, but we just did whatever the fuck we wanted in high school. It was, it was a fucking free for all. But we used to buy. I remember I didn't have an ID, but my friend Mike, who is the brother of Kyle, Sam's friend, we used to buy Kyle and Sam beer on the weekends and charge them like 60 bucks. Yeah, they would upcharge it. They would upcharge it. So in high charge 60 bucks for a case of like Coors Light or something and then give them like Bush Light. Uh, that was ridiculous. Then, yeah, I dude, first of all, the next time I'm leftover Chicago, handles of Bacardi for 20 bucks. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, all right, so we, we go on with high school stories forever. But yeah, yeah. I used to DJ loose term DJ back then uh used to make mixtapes i used to play school dances with my boy mario and um i mean it was it was a disaster it was like train wreck city <laughs> we would just play like whatever the fuck we we played in our cars um like lots of gangster rap lots of Let's like go. big room big room techno like trance tiesto like <laughs> Just awful shit. It was like so, it was like total debauchery because the, so these dances, right? So we went, this is just like a quick, not to keep going to high school, but this ties (laughs) into my whole story because Dante actually has always played a part in my story because so like literally, so we'd go to these dances and you'd hear all this music for the first time and me, like I was a music head. I wanted everything like all the time, but it, it was like total, we went to an all boys prep high school. Oh my God. Like, and like, you know, I don't think like I wasn't a rich kid at all and neither was Dante. Like we weren't rich kids, like in the slightest bit, but we went to school with a lot of rich kids. Lots. 
But it was like, so you would have these school dances, Dante would DJ and it was total debauchery. So how this worked, this was, I don't know why they even allowed this. So only guys from our school could go. Yeah. But oh my all God. girls from outside, didn't matter if they were like 30 years old, they could go. <laughs> it, was like, it was like ridiculous, bro. Like it was like so debaucherous. It would be like all the St. John's. So basically the ratio was like 15 girls to one guy easily maybe more from all and over the state they would come from all over the state from everywhere they, they would we were in the middle of massachusetts there'd be girls like from rhode island people coming up from like and and they would wait in line it was five dollars to get in you remember that it was five dollars to get yep. into the dance they st john's made a fortune on that jesus i have to ask because where you guys grew up sounds a lot like where we grew up like in northeast philly yes. too like worcester is like sounds exactly the fucking yes. same because i will say i think it is an advantage to drink more in high school than you did in college because you get to college and then there's those kids who didn't drink during high school and they flame out fast. Like 100%. Real fast. 100%. Blue collar town. We were always like sneaking into bars, stealing booze from our parents or our friends' parents. Um, I mean, we, if the internet was around, none of us would have made it through school. None of us. So Dante used to, I still have Dante the Don volume one. <laughs> like there was I think like Ether Nas was on it yo if you still have that you need to fucking I gotta find it. it bro I do I have it somewhere it's so sick and like there was like there was all this so this is where like I was like a freshman in high school and this is where I started to get like my hip hop education because like I grew up not on that music at all. like I grew I, I guess I grew up on that music because I was so young but the uh, like when I was younger like I was like Everything I could get my hands on, I'd listen to it. But like, I, you know, you listen to what your parents listen to, basically, mm -hmm. you know, at that time. So it was like James Taylor, R.E.M., like all that kind of shit at my house. Like Bob, tons of Bob Dylan. Like I was like a folky, like came from that. But then when I, I started listening to hip hop was mostly because Dante and his friends would they have this mixtape and Dante had these mixtapes and I would hear these songs and I'd be like, well, who is that? Who is that? It's like, Oh, it's that's, uh, that's Nas. That's Raekwon. That's like this, that's this, this, this Jay-Z like fell in love with Jay-Z, uh, fell in love with Biggie and Tupac. And like, I, I couldn't get enough of it. So, so that's Dante changed your life. Uh, yeah, I would say in more, more ways than one, we can get to that in a little bit too, for sure. Hell yeah. Dante, how do you feel about that, buddy? Uh, I just want, that mentioned in the Grammy speech, and I'm happy. That's, that'll be that'll be dope. But if I, win a, if I win a Grammy for this new album, I'm gonna go. The I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna thank nobody. I'm just gonna be like, this one's for Dante the Don, and just drop <laughs> the mic. So yeah. Listen. So let me tell you my. Let me tell you now my version of this. So I never took DJing seriously. It was like whatever through high school way to like you know fucking be on stage and not. I mean so. The reason we started lobbying to do our school dances is because they would contract these like 40-year-old wedding DJs that were up there playing like electric slide and shit. <laughs> and me and my friends were like, dude, this, this can't fucking happen. So we convinced our school board to let us do one. And it was, I think the first one we blew, we blew all the fucking electricity, like the electricity went out. Cause we maxed the shit out of everything and like Beyonce at the Super Bowl halftime show. It was bad, but they gave us more chances and we turned them into like a shit show. But, um, 
So I, I DJed through high school. Then I got to college and was like, wow, I have no money. Uh, so I went to this dump dive bar that nobody went to, but like alcoholics. And I was like, let me throw parties here. I'll bring crowds. Let me DJ. They let me. So then it started becoming like a beer money thing through college. And then, you know, I fucking hit the jackpot with landing in with, you know, DJ AM and that crowd and, um, learning from all them. And it just like fucking blasted off. But in the, in the meantime, you know, music was never really a goal of mine. Um, I always loved it. I always enjoyed it. Um, I was going home all the time still. My family was back there. My best friends were back there. And I would go back always for Black Wednesday, which is like, it's huge everywhere in the country the night before Thanksgiving. But I think the Northeast is like a whole different fucking level for some reason. So I would go back every Thanksgiving, like, you know, day early, two days early, and we'd go out in downtown Worcester and I would uh, run into everyone from high school and shit. And one year, I forget what year it was, we went to this bar, I think it was on Water Street or Green Street, and we walk in and like Sam James is up there playing guitar and the place is packed. And I'm like looking around to my friends. I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? And they're like, oh, dude, Sam plays fucking everywhere. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, like, the, king of, he's like the king of like uh, live music in Worcester. And I had to like sit down because I had no fucking, co- I had no idea that this kid even like played guitar. Because I just remembered him as like a little like, kid that he used to pull a lot of ass in high school. I will give him that. But I just remember, him, I just remember as this little kid who used to like scrounge booze off us and like always had hot chicks with him. And I was like, what the fuck? He sounds pretty good. He's good on guitar. Like he's up there, like playing, like he's playing at the garden. Like he was a performer and I was fucking mind blown. And that kind of started my following of him as a musician. And I mean, now he's, fucking got a, a big time record deal and he's doing releases with major artists, but Let's there's a lot there in the middle. So Sam, why don't you kind of fill in the gap there? I mean, we can, fill in now. The, we can fill in the gap like quickly because the gap, like I like, I want to get to the, get to the goods, but like we can fill in the gap quickly. So there's like, you know, you, I feel like everybody that starts to like, you know, there's a progression of like, quote unquote, like making it, which is like, I think music is so, is a subjective thing, which is a beautiful thing. It's what makes it amazing. And also I think making it is so subjective too. Like, honestly, like it's, it's so funny. It's so funny to me because I think like I'm sick, like in the head, but like people, some, someone said this to me last week and I was out in Worcester actually. And I stopped by to see a friend was bartending and I stopped by and someone I didn't really know very well. Um, it came up to me in the bar and was like, Oh dude, I heard about all the stuff that's going on with you. I'm excited for the record. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. And, uh, and they're like, you know, you really made it. And like, to me, I'm like, no, I haven't made it. You know what I mean? Like to me, like I have like 500 more things to check off the list. You know what I mean? But like, it's really like relative. And I mean, for me always making it was like, can I pay my bills? Do I have like, so in that sense, yeah, I'm, I made it. Cause I'm like, do I play music full time? Yes. That's what I do for a job. But it's like a whole thing that's relative, but that middle section, man was 
so it was fun. Like, so Worcester, I'd play like in New England and we would pack every house, like upstairs room at House of Blues. We would sell that out. Like we would sell out. But hey, before that, my question is, how did you even like, so Dave is learning to play guitar now. Colin's pretty seasoned. Um, how, like, how did you pick up a guitar and learn how to play guitar and fucking write songs and, and all that shit? Cause I had no, I had no clue you had any musical background literally so, until I walked into that bar. So literally like it all, first of all, it's, I guess like, isn't it always like about a girl? Oh, you know what I mean? So I dated Dave. Is it, is that true? Uh, not a particular girl, but if, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, all I the t- girls, I pulled girls that play guitar. Oh, you're such a douche. <laughs> I love it. Ask me to play guitar for them. Like, uh, here's a fucking G chord down. Like, praying to God they don't ask. But I, yeah, I've told girls that. Obviously, oh, love so it. So I, I used to, so I used to play. I grew up like when I was a kid, kid playing like clarinet and saxophone. And I was playing saxophone until I was like 11, 12 years old, and I was like, this just isn't it. Like I wanted to fucking like hard disagree, but well, okay. So later in life, like I didn't realize, like I'm I'm obsessed with like, not only like my obsessed with all classic hip hop and a lot of new stuff now, because I get turned on to it all the time. And clearly like you can see my Instagram page, like I come from like, that's like a lot of my heart. You know what I mean? Like reimagining these hip hop songs is, has been like a real, like, blessing for me and also good to get it out of my system uh but you know then i like became obsessed with like dave matthews band and oar and like a lot of stuff in high school and i was like shit saxophone was cool but like it's (laughs) but anyway so i i i just like i traded in my saxophone when i was like 13 for an acoustic guitar and i just would like sit i would just sit in my room my parents were going through a divorce like it was like a weird time in my life I just was like, I was like in eighth grade. It was tough. And so I would just like lock myself in my room and like listen to different records like over and over on my freaking Iowa three disc carousel. And you know, like every, like anything I could get my hands on, like I would even play along with hip hop stuff. You know what I mean? Like I would play along with hip hop, anything. And that's, I just taught myself how to play because I couldn't like, like I didn't have, le- I was never like a lessons guy ever. And so I just would teach myself how to play. And cause I had played instruments where I took lessons for so many years. It was, so, it was like kind of like easier. Granted, it's a very different experience. You play saxophone, you play guitar, but like the, the, the music side of it just made sense to me, you know? So that's how I like picked it up. And then I started, I started writing songs like right away because there was this girl that I, there was this girl and I like, I still remember it. And it's, you know, what's so hilarious is so I'll play shows locally like once in a while. Like obviously like we try to do it like once a year yeah. at this point, but like the, uh, if some of my old school friends from like high school or stuff come to the show, they always request it. This one, they oh. yell it out. It'll be like a thousand, they could be like a thousand people in the room and they will find a way to like make their way to the front. And they're like, when are you going to play time and time again? <laughs> like that, that thing you do moment. Like we came here to meet girls and dance. Like, it's like, 
it's a strange thing. So I wrote my first song when I was like 13 and then it was just lights out from there. Like I couldn't stop writing. So I was just writing, 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 like all through high school uh, and through college. And it was like, I just couldn't stop writing. And then of course, not to harp on those middle years, but it was a weird time because it's like, like, you know how this is like when you're in a band, like you have like a high point and then you'll have like three months of like the shittiest time of your life where you're just sitting around and then everyone in your life just asks you like what you, cause they actually think you're like bigger than you are because it's all smoke and mirrors. You know what Dude. I mean? Uh-huh. So, so everybody asks you like, they see you like, like I would go like even at the end of high school, I was getting a lot of gigs. So like I would go and open for like third eye blind. Oh shit. And like, literally, I'm not kidding you. Like my mom, my mom would, I didn't have a driver's license until I was like 17. So I would be 16. I'd get a gig opening for third eye blind in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Like my mom would drive me down and we'd like make a road trip out of it. And then I would go like play shows, like all like different colleges and stuff when I was young and then, uh, and come back, but it would be so much lulls in between. And that was even like after college too. Like it was like, you'd have high, high, high points and then it was low. So fast forward, I got a, I got a phone call. They were like, do you want to do the voice from a friend who worked at universal music group? And that's who's the, the parent company of the show. I said, Shh. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And they were like, you should just do it, man. And I was like, okay, they got me an audition. I went, obviously like I made it on the show and then you have like, that's a whole nother like mind fuck by the way, because you're on a major, major, major television show. And they make you feel like a star when you're there. Like, like they really do. They do a good job of it. They put you up in like dope hotels. There's security. Cause they don't want it to leak out. Like who's like going home and who's not like, they really like you have like, basically it's a chaperone, but you think like you're hot shit, you know, that if you want to go to like the store, someone takes you, you have a driver and like all this other stuff. And then as soon as the show is over, no one gives a shit about you. Like they can't get you to the airport fast enough. On that. <laughs> but, but as soon as you're voted off the show, it's like the next morning they've already like booked your ticket at like 9am and they like shuttle you right to the airport you realize very quickly that it's like fucking over. Like, oh. and then, then you're lost. <clears throat> so are these real, do these reality shows like break people? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent they do, you know, and they're a really good platform if you know what to do with it. Right. Like I didn't know. Guys, yeah. What was that Dave? I, I said a lot of guys have fizzled out from them and it, they're like, like uh, who was it? Ruben stuttered. He won it. American Idol, but like he never did a fucking thing with that, you know. A lot of them. I think think a lot of people do do things with it. It's just here's the other thing too: is like going going back to what we were talking about, like like with the whole success is relative thing. Like, not everybody's gonna be fucking Jay Z, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people that make a killing in music that you've never heard of. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many people. There's like this is funny too because you know, you, we keep like, we're jumping around and it's mostly Dante and I's fault because we've known each other for so long, but like the, <laughs> the, like there's, I write a lot of stuff for EDM as well. 
Um, I did a song with Dante. I've done like stuff with Galantis and no, uh, so so Colin, you know that you know that song Dolly Parton did with Galantis. Yeah, that was Sam wrote that. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, so Sam, tell like you've written for Cameron. You've written for like some big rap like. So we so I've written with some of the rappers you've written for, which so like, I mean we've worked with a lot of rappers, but I haven't really written like a lot of stuff. Like we did like a thing like a long time ago with French, like we did some other stuff, but then like I started writing. So basically now, now we can continue that story. That's good. Dante put us back on course. So <laughs> after the voice, I was completely lost, had no clue what I was doing, but I knew at that point, at least like I could get out of Massachusetts. But to, like tell us to talk a little more about the voice. So you were on like Adam Levine's team, right? Which yeah. I think was probably was, do you think that was the best fit for you? I mean, Probably, dude, at that time, I was, like, so, I had no identity. Like, I didn't know who I was. Like, I was so good. I mean, Dante, at that time, like, I was playing 300 nights a year in bars. So, I was literally playing three to four hours a night. And sometimes I'd do doubles. Like, in the, in the summer, I would be in Newport, Rhode Island, and I would play, like, for all the rich people in Newport. And I would play in the afternoon on a Saturday from like 12 to three. And then I'd play again from like 8 PM to close. You're a fucking lunatic. Like, yeah, but I was doing that like 300 for like a long for years and years and years. Like I added it up like over the last decade, I've played over 2,700 gigs. Like it's a lot. So like, it's crazy. So, um, what do you call it? So I didn't really know like how to make it a business. You know what I mean? Like I came off like the voice, which was a big look for me. And I came home and I got to do some cool stuff in Massachusetts, but I didn't even have an Instagram. I didn't even have anything. Like I didn't realize like, that's the one thing on the show. I'm sure they do it different now because social like TikTok wasn't really a thing then, but TikTok, everything's so big now. They probably encourage you to do it. Mm. But like, I was just like, oh, whatever. Like, I'll just come off the show and see how it goes. Cause I didn't know how to run my own business. You know what I mean? So it's like, I didn't know how to make the most of it. So you come off the highest point of your life. You're on national television and it's like such a glamorous experience. And there's people doing your wardrobe and your hair every day. And like, you have, it's just like so intense. You know what I mean? Can I ask you something real quick? This yeah. goes back to the point. I, I've been talking about this a lot. This weird double life thing, right? Like when you're an artist and you're breaking or you're, you're working to break, you live this weird double life where you have this fantasy life where you have your highs, super high moments. Like you play a big festival or you get a big show. And then you have those lows where you got to go work a day job and things like that. Yeah. We even talked about this on Twitter where I was busting their balls. Dante had tweeted out that I was bartending and I was like, I'd rather not people like in my head. I'm like, God, I'd rather keep that facade that people don't know that I'm still bartending. You know what I mean? How do you de- or How were you dealing with the high moments and the low moments? So first of all, that's, we are, we are actually really similar because I, I, bartended, I bartended for like eight years. And first of all, also too, like if I apologies, if this gets out to like my old boss and stuff, like I was the worst fucking bartender. <laughs> Like the world's worst bartender. Like I felt so bad for anybody that drank any drink that I made. Like it was like terrible. Unless you're getting like a rum and Coke 
or a or Bud Light. <laughs> yeah, like I was not your guy, but I was personable. So like I was like we made good tips when I worked, but I it's I slowed the whole. They would have to like put an extra bartender on to like pick up my slack. Oh, you're the fucking worst, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm a ter- I was a terrible bartender, but the but that I also had that same thing like. I would go and do these big things and then I'd come home. I'll never forget it. This is, this is a great, great story. So I had opened up for blues traveler like a ton of times. Right. And I actually, I actually played like a presidential inaugural ball in DC when I was really young with John Popper from blues traveler and Robert Randolph and the family band and like a bunch of like dope people. And it's like I was always getting these like great looks. Right. But I could never make it work mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to do it. So I knew, so I know John Popper. I don't, I haven't seen him in a million years. I'm sure he doesn't remember me at this point, but at that time it was still like fresh in his mind. And like I had opened for him. And then like a year later I was bartending in Worcester and he fucking comes in the bar. Oh. And we had just played like this massive show together two night, two different events, like this massive thing. And he goes, dude, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I work here. And he's like, really? And I was like, I was like, yeah. Like, I felt like he wanted me to be like, thought like I maybe like I own the place or something. You know what I like, but that like you have those moments and like for a while, dude, like, Oh man, (laughs) it used to kill me, bro. It sucks. It used to it used to kill me, it but like shouldn't though. Like that's no, exactly, and that's what I'm getting at. That's it what I'm shouldn't, getting at. but it doesn't like. There's nothing like this happened to me last week to where somebody was like, because they always ask this question when you're bartending, and like I don't know how to put this, but like if you have a little bit of personality behind you and you can kind of tell that you do other things, somebody will say like, "What do you do besides this?" And I'll say like, "Oh, I'm the singer in a band called Fox Trotting the Get Down," and they say. I saw you play at Wells Fargo Center with Bon Jovi. What are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I don't know if you noticed the fucking pandemic that gutted the music industry, but we're not exactly cash and checks right now, chief. Like there, there are those moments where you yeah. do have to check yourself and be like, all right, I know what I'm working towards. This is where I am right now, but it doesn't change the fact that it sucks a bag of dicks. Like, you know, it, it sucks, man. But you know what it, it took for me was, and it took me like till later in life to figure this out, bro. But it, Dante's a hundred percent right, but it took me till later. And I, cause I've, I've been there. So I get it. Like I even, I'm feeling it again. Like right now, like you know that, what I'm saying, right? It's like, fuck you. The thing is about that feeling is what's fucked up about it. First of all, is for someone to project that on you is a, is a really shitty thing to do as Absolutely. a person, like a really shitty thing for them to do. And I think sometimes people like, they speak and they don't realize like the impact that they can have on somebody's life. Well, I I think a lot of times too, I think it's, it's inter. I think you internalize it. I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of people are assholes about it, but I think you feel ashamed when, when you shouldn't. That's why I text Colin texts me. I text Colin on the side. I'm like, dude, there is no fucking shame in bartending. There's no shame in dishwashing. There's no shame in having a job. There's shame in, there's shame in not having a job and not working, but Facts. You're fu- if you're fucking working, dude, I have 50 jobs. Yes, Dante, I, you own- Dante has more jobs than anyone. I'm, than not, embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed by any of them. I, no. I, fucking, I still DJ at fucking Bounce in Chicago on like Friday nights sometimes because I, I fucking love it. I love it's fucking more- seeing people, talking to people. Bartending is one of the hardest jobs Agreed. that- 
For so some hard. reason, people look down on. Dude, I respect the fuck out of bartenders because it's physical. They're fucking running around doing a million things. You got to fucking have really good fucking memory. Oh, yeah. Brain capacity. And you got to be able to fucking talk to people. You can't be a fucking prick. You can't have no personality. It takes a lot of fucking talent to bartend. Now, Dante, and, what you said is 100% correct, though. It's all internalized. It's in your own head. You know no, what I mean? There are, there are people that are fucking pieces of shit that are like looked at, you know, like, oh, I'm a fucking, I'm a lawyer. Like you're, oh, you know, fuck you're that. in the fucking well, service industry. Yeah, for they sure. can suck my I mean, dick. But the, the whole point is, I think what I'm trying to say here is like, as artists, we go through these ups and these high points and these low points, these peaks and these valleys, and you want to be at this one place. And I think, Sam, you're a great example. Right. And I, we are way more similar. That, like Dante said that before we even started, but like, it's how do you cope with that to get to where you want to go and you don't okay, tip so over? It's hard. So this is what I learned from those experiences. And I think it, the reason why I'm having like a little bit of a run right now of success over the last couple of years is because I learned this. You, it, I know it's, it's, it's easy to say, it's easy to say to somebody like, Oh, I don't care what people think about me because that's not true. Everybody cares about what people think about them. That's Absolutely. like in human nature. It's inherently like going to be in you. But uh, let me say this. When I stopped realizing, like there was always times in my mind where it was like when I would have those experiences and the lows and I would get depressed and I would be like, They're gonna, one day, one day I'm going to win a Grammy and then I'll show them. That's like such a fucking messed up mentality, bro. You can't do that. This needs to be about you. Mm. And it's your journey and your story. And like, honestly, however, this is what's hilarious about this is that my entire story basically is summed up in like perseverance. Mm. Like I'm not 19. You know what I mean? Like I didn't do this like overnight, bro. It was like a lot of trial and error. And it was a lot of like, a lot of mistakes and a lot of low points and a lot of good points too. I have a lot of great memories, but at the same time, like I stopped being like, I'm going to do this in spite of other things or I'm going to show them or like this, this thing. And I started focusing like more on like inward and being like, why am I actually doing this? Because I love music. At the end of the day, it comes down to a great song. If you can write a great song and you just believe in the song and push songs and push yourself, things will happen. As opposed to like being so wrapped up in like, I used to play like the blame game during those times too, mm. because I've had record deals in the past, bro. Like I've had stuff like that happen to me and the things fall apart. And I'm like, if this person would have just done this, I would have, I would have done better or this person would have done this. I would have done better. And I'm blaming this person at my publisher and I'm blaming this person at the record label. When in reality, no one's going to care about your project the way that you do. And, and honestly, as soon as I started becoming like, I became like way more hands-on and I have a dope manager who I've been with for almost a decade and we've been through everything together. So, Lincoln is my manager, Lincoln Blow. He's incredible. And the great thing about Lincoln is that, because this is exactly what happens when you're a musician or an artist or pretty much anything in life. When you're on a high, everybody's with you. When you're yeah. on a low, everybody dips. 
And it's the people that don't dip career wise that those are the people you want to rock with forever. Mm-hmm. Every time something would go not right, we would lose our entire team except Lincoln. He was always there for me. And he, so basically we are like partners at this point. Like I don't even really, I call he's my friend first and foremost. And he looks out for me. Uh, but at the same time, like having that one person rock with me has been very important to get to this point. But I stopped like blaming other people and I started blaming myself. Cause like the first time I had a record deal, I was, I thought that I was like, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I, I spent that advance faster than anyone has ever <laughs> torn through money in the history of money. Cause I had never made any real money playing. I'd made money playing music, but not like a big check like that. I ripped through that advance, dude. I was like going to the bars in Worcester, buying like the entire bar rounds of shots. Hometown hero vibes. Oh yeah. Like I was like really, really like in my element, dude. Like, anything like I was like running my card. Like I had like an Amex black with like an unlimited budget. (laughs) Like I was just like, I'm like, it was the dumbest shit ever. I like tore through that advance in like six months. And I'm sure people have spent a lot more money than I had faster. But like that to me, that was like the most money I thought I would ever see in my life. Um, you know, fast forward to like six months later when I was like, wow, now I need to start like gigging every night again because I have no money and my record deal had just fallen apart. So it was like a disaster, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think like that whole mentality is, I don't know. I, I don't know. Dante, you can speak to this a lot because you are, first of all, you said it, you're a man, you have like a million jobs. You're a man of, of a million, like you're, you really are like the jack of all trades. Like Dante does it all. I mean, you don't own nightclubs, have a huge DJ career, do all this other stuff if it don't, you don't work hard and not worry about the noise. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure people thought you were nuts at some points. Like, you know, you know what? The, you know what though? Like, I have, and this sounds like really like a real hard old thing, but I I talk I talk to my therapist about this all the time. If it wasn't for all the like doubters and like shit talkers, I would not, and I, and I'm like, I'm by no means like as successful as a lot of my friends or people that I know and look up to, but, um, the success I have achieved, I would be nowhere near it if it wasn't for those people. Like I use that as fuel, um, which isn't healthy. Like my, my therapist tells me like, it's, it's not a good thing, but I've always used that as like how you said, like, I'm going to show them, but it's been more of a, that's not like, I don't have blinders on and I'm only out to prove people wrong. It's also like, I I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's not something that has ever gotten me down. It's always been something that I've been like, ha, okay. Like, you know, here's another fucking idiot like that I'm going to show, you know, is wrong. Like it, it's, it's always been like that. For me, it was the opposite. No, it was the opposite for me because what I would do is like, I would take like a negative comment and I would sit there for like three days and think about it. Ooh. Like I, I think I'm like too, I'm too sensitive. You know what I mean? Like that's why the internet is so dangerous. Like 
my, my, one of my biggest goals in life is like, I want to edge share in this thing. Like if I can get the project big enough where I don't even have to have a cell phone, that would be great for me. Oh, that's the fucking dream, dude. <laughs> that would be fucking like the end all be all. Like then I'll say I made it. Then I'll say I made it. 100%. So when you, have, when you have like a flip phone, then you can honestly say that you've made it. That's, dude, that's- I miss those days, dude. Sometimes like I, the talk about like trying to put the noise away from you, like, especially in the day and age of music where it's not about just the song anymore. Like right. it's about like, how cool can you be on TikTok? How can you make like, uh, you're engaged. It's all in engagement. literally, I think like I have like 20 calls a day where it's like engagement, 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 like on the internet. And it's super, super important, but it's a lot harder, I think, now than in any time in music history to like break out as an artist. So, if so, you can- so hey, but to back it up one step, just because yeah. this is a golden opportunity, um, negative comments and hate on the internet. I feel like we have one of the internet's like most famous trolls on Facts. this call with us. Facts. Can we? Colin? Can we? <laughs> you, you, you motherfucker! No, no, I'm just saying, Dave. Dave, you deal with a lot of shit on the no internet. No one deals yourself. with more shit. Than I was being talking. sarcastic. Yeah, what? How have you uh, learned to deal with it over the years? Because I feel like you don't. You're not even fucking phased by it anymore. It's incredible. Uh, it no, like like Sam was saying, like everybody, nobody's like completely invincible to that stuff. Like, nobody has such thick skin that those things don't get to you unless your name's, like, Dave Portnoy. <laughs> but, like, uh, one of the things that I – one of the words that I fucking hate the most is when what, the word loser. Like, I'll, I get that here and there. Like, you're such a loser. I'm like, dude, I make six figures to fucking <laughs> talk about the dumps I took in the morning and the team <laughs> that I like to follow. I just bought a house. I am not losing. You're <laughs> on my shit. One of us is losing one of us. And that's a completely douchey fucking thing to say. But it's like, that's yeah. not the, if you're going to come at me, come at me with something like fucking true, at least like if I'm losing that, none of that's the case. And I'm happy as can be right now. Like I've never been in a better spot than at any other point in my life. Um, but like at the same time, like, I come eight o'clock, I have my phone set. So I stop getting notifications Smart. and I just throw on fucking Netflix, no sports. I'll watch documentary on anything, outer space or whatever. And I'll just sit there and fucking watch and just disconnect myself from the world. Obviously that's impossible for what we do. I can't do that every night, but like that's like three or four nights a week for me where I just am like off the grid. And it, it's so cathartic. I think that it's important too. You have to shut it down. Like even like this, this week, when I'm leading up to a release, like I am right now, there's no shutting it down. Like I'm on, I'm on like zooms or it, we're doing interviews. We're doing a lot of stuff from like seven 30 in the morning, sometimes until one, I'm, I was on a call last night until two in the morning. Like it gets intense on a week like this, but I do the same thing, Dave. Like I got really into, <laughs> I found like two hobbies over the pandemic that were not music. So my whole life was music and I needed like other things. So I was like, I got really into golf 
which I suck at golf. Oh. I'm the worst. But if you guys ever want to go, I'll go. But I'm I would love to. Yeah. Let's go golfing, dude. It'd be awesome. Yeah. I have great golf. I have great barstool golf swag. Tons. So of it. do I, dude. I have a new bag. Oh, I want to get the bag. I don't have the bag yet, but I've got like tons of that. The hats, shirts, like you name it. Like I've got it. And then the. Uh, <laughs> I want them to know when I show up to the golf course that I'm there to like have some drinks, not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. necessarily like shooters. Yeah, the cart girl comes around when she sees that. <laughs> she <laughs> sees that barstool, that like that pink flamingo barstool golf shirt. She I, knows. I have that one. Yeah. She's definitely getting tipped well, and she's definitely gonna sell like 20 drinks to my, <laughs> yeah. my girl, 100. percent I suck at golf too, but I love it. I mean, I yeah. only go a handful of times a year, if that. Um, but I would. I would love this foursome right here. Kenny wouldn't go. But no, he'd just smoke weed on the cart. Before we, but Sam, you brought up the release week, right? I want to get into that. But before yeah, we do, I want to cap this off real quick because I think this is actually a really good conversation to have because I don't think people talk enough as musicians about the fact of what they had to, like, I feel like so much today, especially with social media, it's all veneer. It's like, oh, I'm here now. I'm just here. I'm here to, I'm already huge. With this specific platform that we have and sam obviously we're so glad that you're here to be able to share your story but like even the three or four of us i think we should be more open about the fucking path that we took as musicians and even if you're still fucking bartending fuck it that's that is what it is this is important this is good fucking conversation well that's the whole thing bro like my whole story is like and i literally have just been talking with a lot of people about this last few weeks and my whole thing is like i'm not ashamed of where i how it my path that it took me to get here and i'm not like trying to play it up like this was an overnight thing because it's not and if anything if i if my story could help one other person on this planet like not give up on their dream like that's what i'm trying to do here like that's like not to be like the the most positive dude on earth but like the like that's what i'm trying to do here like I, i want to inspire other people like i think that there's like there's so much talent on earth. And like, if you have a dream, if your dream is to like open a pizza shop, if your dream is to be a musician, if your dream is to be an actor, if your dream is to like work at a gas station, it doesn't matter. But like, you you shouldn't let other people crush your dream. No. And not everyone's path or journey has to be the same. And I, I feel like there's with, with social media and stardom always looking young and even even like our old stars like even they look like, like j-lo and some of these other like crazy no one no one shows age there's never stories of people like making it later one of my favorite fucking stories this isn't just for music it's for life in general is tina turner's like personal journey so she was always second fiddle i don't know how to Ike Turner, they were like a group through like the disco era and everything. And it was always Tina and I, or Ike and Tina, Ike and Tina. And when he finally beat her senseless for the last time and she finally left him, everyone was like, there she goes, we'll never hear from her again. Um, He had so many relationships in the industry that he tried to like blackball her you know, he told her, you're never going to, no one's ever going to fucking hear your name again. Tried to like run her out of the fucking business. Fast forward like 15, 16 years, she's 46 years old and she releases her debut album and smashes through 
the ceiling. And she's one of the biggest solo musicians through the 80s and 90s. And she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame today. She's a fucking legend. But I mean, she's 46 years old, which is old as fuck for anybody, especially a female, especially a black female in the 80s. And I just think that that story is so inspirational. Like, if she can fucking do that, like, literally anybody can fucking do that. Like, there's no law or rule that says anywhere, like, you have to become, you know, a name or successful or famous before you're 30 years old or, you know, it's, you're, you're fucked. Fitz, or Fitz and the Tantrums. Fitz and the Tantrums. Yeah. How, yeah. Explain. I missed that interview, but I, I'm so pissed. Explain, explain his story. It, it was really similar. Like, he was talking about how... Like, he got lucky in the sense that his parents had some money. So, anytime, like, he was trying for decades to become, you know, a, a guy who can be a headliner at a festival or sell out the United Center or whatever. And, like, he would, it was kind of like every few months he was at, like, hey, I need to pay rent. Can I borrow 1500 bucks? His parents, they, they wanted him to, you know, chase his dream. So, he got lucky in that sense because a lot of people would be like, yo, get a fucking job. My dad told me to get a fucking job the day I graduated high school. Like, it wasn't where you're going to college. It's where you're going to work, you know? Mm. Um, but it's – like, it was It was just like that. How old is he? He's in his 50s. He's 50 now, but he, he broke when he was 40. Yeah. And w- when he was 30, he had an audition for a major label, and they said, sorry, bud, you're too old. Yeah. And the, no, he was 29. And I remember when we did the interview, I was 29 and I was like, fuck. Yeah. I was like, damn it. Uh, but I will say this, dude, this dude. is what fucking on the guest list is about. Yeah, for sure. 100%. That's what this shit is about. Let's go. That's our mission statement, man. Fuck it. We'll Sammy. See. So Sammy, so who were you with? I, I don't want to like bring up bad memories, but who was your first deal with? Yeah, I don't mind talking about that. Like, not at all. Like, so my first my first deal was with Akon. Remember Akon? What? Fucking course. Convict I do. music? Convict music, but I wasn't it wasn't called Convict Music then. So so he after like he was like obviously a massive artist and then he started a record label and Dude, he fucking discovered Lady Gaga. Gaga, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Like, no, I, I mean, he, he, he put he, her on, he, he put, put her on, on for sure. Time. For sure. He put her on a hundred percent. I mean, Gaga's that's another story, by the way, that's so inspiring. Oh, like yeah. everybody told her no, like literally. Dude, I did. So I did a show with her in Chicago at this club called Enclave. She was like a club girl in New York and they booked her. Because the, this big fucking booker in New York was like, I got this girl. If you want some of my other shows, you need to book her. They booked her for like $2,500. I'm in the back service bar where all like all the fucking like VIPs and, and we're back there drinking. And this girl comes in with these two fucking dancers and they basically strip down not naked, but stripped down in the middle of this back service bar and put on these outfits. She puts on this blonde, like, drag wig, and she's got this big staff. And the, the owner introduces me, and he's like, this is who's going to be performing or whatever. She gives me the CD with the songs on it. One of them was Magic Stick. Not Magic Stick. Um, was it Magic Stick? What the fuck was her song? Poker Face? No, Disco Stick. Disco Stick. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
disco stick and just dance. And we go up there. She performs the two songs. She fucking blew. Like people were like, didn't know who the fuck she was. But when she was done, everyone was like, whoa, that was like pretty fucking good. But then fast forward like a year later and she's a fucking super duper star. Um, but Akon, he had her and Sam. Do you remember the white kid? The white R&B singer he had? Oh, what was that kid's name? He had like one song. Sam James. A, no. No. <laughs> it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I see I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to look it up. I forget who it was. Um, it, that was a weird experience because... How, so, did he, how did he discover you and, and link up with you? Okay, so I literally... So I signed a publishing deal. So fast forward, like we talk, we're doing a lot of fast forwarding, but like going back to the whole story, like how this worked was I went out to LA and I would just like sleep on my, on my friend's floor. Like I wouldn't even, so this is hilarious. So my boy Saint, who's now like a a big executive at Atlantic records, like, and we make, we did the faith record together. Mm. Um, We did the new cheat codes thing together. Like we do, we still work together a lot. And Saint, Saint is actually a producer on this single. So that all ties in too on my new record. Um, he's, he's from Worcester, Massachusetts as well. And so like we've known each other a really long time. So Saint had a manager um, in LA and Saint was like living on his couch. And so I would come out there and I would sleep on the hardwood floor, like <laughs> next to the couch in this tiny West Hollywood apartment. And like the dude would like wake up every day to go to his record label job and like step over us. Cause we'd been working like all <laughs> night and we'd be like knocked out until three in the afternoon. But the, uh, so I, and I started writing. So St. Calls me and he goes, Hey, do you want to come back out here and work with this girl, BB Rexa? And I go, who is that? And he's like, Oh, this is way before BB was big. Right. Way before. So BB had been in this band called uh, Black Cards with Pete Wentz. And then the band like broke up. But she was like, she was, she's so fucking talented. So anyway, he goes, look, I have this friend, BB. She's really dope. You should come out to LA and we're just going to like go to studios every day. And she, they're like, she just got a publishing deal. So she has like a little tiny bit of money to like rent out a studio space, but she really wants to be an artist. So why don't you come out and we'll write songs for her and then we'll go and like try to do whatever. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, whatever. What was I doing? Nothing sitting in Worcester. So I was like, cool, I'll come out. I meet BB. She's a wild, she's wild, bro. She's so wild. She's like, but the second that you meet BB and this has been like the homie for years, like I love her to death. And the second I met her, I was like, she's a star. She just has that. You know, when you meet someone and you, they, they're like, you're like, wow. Like Dante was just talking about Gaga. Like you see, like you meet her and you're like, yeah, okay. I get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. right? like this is a fucking pop star. Yeah. I, I said, remember I said the same thing about her when I told you, or when I found out you were working with her, I was like, dude, this girl is going to be a fucking mega star. Her voice is unbelievable. And you were like, yeah, she's hard to work with, but she's so talented. It's crazy. The reason I was, I know, so I thought that she was so hard to work with then because I didn't know what it was. Like she actually had like artist drive. Like she knew what she wanted to. She's like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm doing. And like, if you're not doing what I'm doing, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like 
you have to be like that in the studio, especially. And she's like, she was so dope. And so we ended up like writing all these songs uh, with her. And then she, we, I would go with her to label meetings and like play acoustic guitar and sing the harmonies to the songs. And so she ends up signing this big deal at Warner brothers. And then and I, what happened? They kept, they kept taking her songs and having other artists fucking do them. Right. Well, no. So she, she had written a lot for other people before. Right. Like, so she had done that whole thing, but the whole thing, like the B, I have no clue, like how her career, like we're still really close, but like, I'm not going to talk on her story. Like she can tell yeah, her. Yeah, I got you. I guess she'll just have to come uh, on here and tell us herself. Yeah, she should. She should come on here and do it. She's, she's really dope. Um, and she, she's a good person. You know what I mean? Like, I really like, she's been really helpful. She actually, she's like the, one of the people that taught me how to like work in a studio, mm-hmm. like how to write and on the fly, like in the studio, like she, like those were like, those were like real like grooming sessions for me. Like, to, like this is what it's like to be a professional songwriter. If you want to do this shit, this is how you have to work with an artist. This is how you tailor to an artist. This is how you like, like mold things into her. You get inside their head. You know what I mean? In order to write for them. So like, you're like, this is how BB would say this. Guys, you know who that person is for me? Who? Kenny. It's Kenny Karki. Mm-hmm. That was the person who taught me really like what it's like to be in a fucking real studio out in LA and shit. Like, I don't want to give Kenny any credit, but yeah, that was my, Kenny's my <laughs> BB Rexa. I don't know. That's yeah. So, so anyway, I'm playing at this publishing office at BMG, who's been my publisher for a long time. Ever since then, they like came up to me. We did a little showcase. It was like, it was like BB and like Leona Lewis and like some other like huge artists. And we were just in the office at BMG playing for like the staff. And they came up to me after and they were like, um, Hey, like you sound pretty good up there. They're like, uh, did you write it? And then BB comes right over and she's like, yeah, you know, he wrote all those songs with me, all the songs that we just played. And they were like, Oh really? And they like took me into an office and they were like, so you ever had a publishing deal? You think that you want a publishing deal? And so anyway, I end up signing with BMG. I go and make an album on my own because I want to be an artist, right? My rep at BMG was working on something with Akon. He goes, anybody new that you have that you're excited about? He goes, she literally, like the morning, I had that morning, I had just sent the full album, the done completed album to my rep at BMG. She just happened to be with, with Akon that afternoon. and we finished the record that night and that night I had no money. Right. I was like out of money at the time. I mean, I had a little bit cause I had the publishing deal, but like, it was like, I was not balling, you know what I mean? Like not in the slightest bit. So that night I said to my, my manager had flown in Lincoln and I was like, Lincoln tonight we're getting a hotel. Like I'm tired of like, we were all in an Airbnb, like, all crammed on like a one bedroom Airbnb, like eight of us like crammed in. It was like, we're getting a hotel tonight. I don't know what's going to happen with this album, but like, we're going to celebrate. We go to, we check into the Lowe's in Hollywood and this, we get in the room, like we, we pass out at like midnight, two in the morning, the phone rings and it will not stop ringing. And it's literally Akon calling us that same day we finished the record and he's calling Lincoln, calling Lincoln, calling Lincoln. Finally, I'm like across the room. I'm like, bro, answer your phone. And he like, he looks over and he's like, hello. And it was Akon. And he goes, yo, uh, Clarabelle played me your, 
your uh, artist album. And he's like, I want to sign him like right now. Well, who's your lawyer? So I had a deal within like two weeks done, like inked everything done. The, it was so exciting being in that deal. It was my first real record deal. And it was, it was, uh, I don't know, like it felt great. And it was at the time. And then it ended up turning into like one of the darkest points in my life. <laughs> like literally like it just was a, a mess and the label was like kind of a disaster. And, uh, and then I just wanted to get out of my deal, but I couldn't get out of my deal. And like, it took forever to get out of that deal. And then when I finally did, then I was just like, I, it, I remember it was, it was like a horrible, like I would just like sit in my basement by myself, wasn't playing any mu any music. I had a little money from the deal still. So I didn't really have to work. Like I didn't have to like go back to work right away, but I would just like sit in my basement, play Xbox, smoke cigarettes. And like, that was it. Like that was, this was pre kids by the way. Like, so <laughs> like, like I, I didn't have to like, I didn't like, uh, you know, neglect my kids and like leave them my kid and leave them alone. But it was, uh, like it was just a really bad time. Like so dark, like one of the darkest on the whole journey, like probably like the darkest time ever, because also I felt like, okay, this goes back to what we were talking about, but I felt like a failure because all the papers in new England wrote up that I got a record deal and wrote up about like all this other stuff, by the way, I, that was a good lesson to learn because I've had my deal now at Universal Music Group for a little bit, but I didn't talk about it until like a week ago. Smart. Smart man. <laughs> Just to make sure that we had records coming out. You know what I mean? Because yeah. literally, like, so everybody, especially like in Massachusetts, knew that I had a record deal. So they would, so if I went out anywhere, I stopped going out. I stopped going anywhere. Like I wouldn't, I didn't do anything. Like I would just like eat McDonald's in my basement and like, it was horrible. Like I was in, I was in ridiculously ridiculous shape because when I got the record deal, I got a trainer like twice a day for six days a week. I got like totally shredded. Right. I was like really proud of myself and, and all this stuff. And then the deal fell apart and I was like, fuck it. Like, what do I have to be healthy for? Like, what do I care? Like it was horrible. I would just like sit, eat pizzas and McDonald's in my basement. Like I got like super, super, super big and just like, was depressed. And I didn't go anywhere because I didn't want to go out anywhere because God forbid I like saw people Yep. and I had to like explain to them like, and then they asked me like about like what I was doing, like, and I would just like fall apart in front of people and I didn't want to do that. So it was really tough. Um, but then I ran out of money. So I had to go back in front of people anyway, because I needed the only thing I could do. So I started bartending again and I started gigging. So like bartend two nights a week and I would gig. And then uh, a couple, like a year goes by and I stopped feeling like so sorry for myself. And my manager, Lincoln, was like, he let me be during that time too because he knew. And I think he was going through it too. You know what I mean? Like he was going through it because it was like, his first artist that he had managed that had a record deal too. And like, he was excited. And like, I feel like he might've thought like some of the blame was on him too and on me and on the label. And like, 
So we kind of just like chilled out. But then he goes, you know, I was just in Nashville. And he goes, everybody looks like you. <laughs> the hat Ouch. gives it away, dog. The hat gives Ouch. it away. It was so funny because I, I didn't even have the hat then. Like I acquired the hat in Nashville. You know what I mean? So did I. Like, yeah, so like I didn't even have the hat then. But he goes, because I have like a beard and like, you know, like he's like, he always said like I looked country. You know what I mean? And he's like. He goes, I was just in Nashville, bro. He goes, everybody looks like you. And he's funny. Like Lincoln is, Lincoln's from Africa. So he's, he's really, really funny. Like he's like this short, funny black dude. And he's, <laughs> and he goes, bro, everybody looks exactly like you. And I was like, dude, that's, that's not cool. And he goes, he goes, no, I'm telling you. He's like, you got to start going to Nashville. He goes, as a matter of fact, I met with, the head of the BMG office. I was still, I still had a publishing deal at BMG, but I wasn't doing anything with it. I was just letting it sit. And he goes, I wait. I, so hold on. I'm, I'm an idiot. How does that work? How do you have a record deal with one label and a publishing deal with the other? Well, cause it's two separate things. So like publishing is, this would be good for listeners too. Cause I'm sure this is like over a lot of people's heads. This is a learning included. curve for a lot of artists, man. People don't realize that they're two separate entities. Yeah. So how, how's that work, Sam? And how do you navigate that? Okay. So it's two separate things. So like the record deal is like, so you could have a publishing deal if you're just a songwriter, you don't have to be an right. artist. So the publishing deal is basically like, you sign a deal to a publisher, you write songs for that publisher. They generally own 50% of your publishing, which is like, um, uh, let's, I'm trying to like, think like how to, exp that's a really like in-depth conversation about what actually is publishing, yep. but there's two sides of thing. There's, there's a publishing side and a master side. Yep. The master side is record label. So if you, um, the master side is the record label. So like you get checks from, that's the a tough thing about being a musician is like, sometimes you get checks from the most random places. You have to like figure out where they come from. Like, so, but you get paid like through a few different companies, but so you can have a publishing deal and a record deal separate, separate companies. It doesn't matter. They don't generally communicate with each other. Like in my case, they do a little bit just because there's like song splits. So if I write a song with three people, everybody gets, their third and like they have to communicate that way. But the obviously like if a song does really well on radio and like does well and gets like in movies and TV and like all over the place, everybody makes money. Mm. So they're all working towards the same right. goal. They all want your songs to succeed, whether you write them for other right. people or whatever. Dante, think about right, it. As but the, song, <laughs> the song itself versus the master recording. Right but, if, right, but if you have a record deal, aren't they going to want to, like, those songs, they're going to want on your fucking record, not, like, on someone else's label, right? Oh, for sure. So, like, that's the thing. So, now that so I have... Do you, like, how do you fucking... Nav and then vice versa, like, yeah. the, the label with the publishing deal is going to be like, we fucking had you first, like, you, you need these songs on our label. Oh, well, you would think that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you would think, so what you just said, by the way, is the most logical thing anyone's ever said when talking about publishing, because most publishing companies are, have a parent company that's a record label. Mm -hmm. So like BMG, BMG 
has, and I'm not knocking BMG because they've been great for me as a publisher, but like BMG has a record label. When we were shopping for, uh, for a deal for this new project, they were like, no. They were like, we don't get it. All right, cool. Even though you own my publishing, don't you think you'd want to own these records? Like as well, but they, they didn't, but it was fine. But they, it's like a total disconnect, man. Like it's not like all these companies, like the record label at BMG and the publishing, they don't intertwine with each other. They don't work together. You know what I mean? Like you think that they right, would right. like two separate companies. They're not even in the same building. Like, like it's a, it's totally different, but that, what you did, what you said makes total sense. If I ever own, if I ever own a publishing company and I start a record label, I want anyone I'm signed to publishing that wants to be an artist to put records out if they're good on my label. Cause then you own it all. Okay. So, I mean, that's great, but um, yeah. So I had this publishing deal and my, and Lincoln says, I met with Chris Oglesby and he was the vice president of the Nashville office. And he goes, I played him some of your songs. Why don't we get on the phone with him next week? So we get on the phone with Chris and Chris is like, a real, real Southern dude. Like just, the, just a, he's a country music through and through. Like he's a real big deal. He's like a and all the Carrie Underwood albums. And like, he's like a big, big deal. Um, and he's like a legend on music row. And he's like, he's just so funny. He's got this great draw. I'm not going to try to imitate him, but he, uh, he goes, you know what you do and what we do, there is like a pretty similar line. And that's why I want to like, I think that hip hop and country music are the two most similar forms of music. Hear me, hear me out on this. It's country, country music is all about a story. The song starts and it's the beginning of the story. The song ends, the story wraps up. Hip hop is all about stories. Like pop is different. Pop music is different because it's more, there's about, it's like a lot of vibe especially these days. And like, it'll be like a, it's not so much about like the lyrical content, I don't think, but like hip hop is all about lyrics. Country is all about lyrics. So thus that stuff like made sense to me. And I had written, I dabbled in so many different genres writing. So he listened to a lot of the hip hop stuff I'd written. And then he listened to a lot of the folk stuff I'd written. And he goes, this makes sense. You should be coming down here. And he's like, you're already signed to this company. He's like, I never heard of you before. He's like, but you're already signed to this company. Why don't you start writing here? So I started making like little trips down, fell in love with the place, got my own place down there. And the rest was like history on that BMG front. Like, I love it there. Bro, can I ask you a question? As, as Northern guys who write in Nashville, don't you have fun when you get to go down and write in Nashville? Because it's kind of separate from your, like when you're writing country songs, it's a little bit separate from your story. So it's almost like you get to like live this separate life and you, you force yourself into that. And I can't relate to any of the shit necessarily if you're telling <laughs> me like country stories, but it is fun to step outside of yourself. Like, did you enjoy writing on like the country stuff? I mean, I love writing country. I still, I still like, even though we've been immersed in my project right now, like I still like to go down there once in a while and like write a bunch of country songs because yeah. it kind of cleanses the palate for me. Um, and also there's no better lyricist in the world than Nashville, Tennessee. Fact. So people can, I've never seen people turn a phrase like in Nashville, like the way, like the people, they're so funny. Like some of these seasoned, I've gotten really lucky. I've gotten to work with some like incredibly seasoned 
seasoned writers, older guys that have been doing it for a long time and have written a lot of hits in the country world. And even when you speak to them in person, it's like they're reading out of a fucking poetry book. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, like there's this one, there's this one dude I write with sometimes his name's Clint Daniels and he, he it's the most country name. ever. I was right? just going to say, if you were going to make up a country singer in a movie, Clint Daniels, would be <laughs> and he's the most country dude ever. And like, and he, he's so like articulate. And the way he speaks sometimes, like I want to have a voice recorder around just having a conversation and getting a beer with him down the street. Yeah. Like, cause a million, he speaks in song. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really interesting, but like, I just fell in love with uh, the culture and the town. But at the same time, I realized like, if I was still going to be an artist, like I had to be me. Right. And that's the thing too. And like, we can get into the, the, um, I heard you talking about the John legend songland thing. Yeah. How the hell did that happen? That happened because it's the same producers as the voice. Mm -hmm. And so I had written, so they caught wind because I stayed close with a lot of the producers on the show. And I still am to this day. Like there's a couple guys that still work on the voice that I love them to death. And, uh, you know, so at the end, um, at the end of each season, you know, the, the contestants sing an original song. Okay. Some of these people are not writers. They're just singers. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of artists that are, are just not, they're not writers. They just, they're great at like taking words and making them their own, but they're not writers. And uh, so I wrote this song called old soul and they had, they had asked like, Hey, if anybody has any songs, like this is who we're looking for. And so I had written this song and, uh, I had sent it to them and she, the girl ended up singing it live on the show, which was really dope. It was nice. It was nice. And, uh, um, that was, it was, it's always nice when that happens, you know, like the song kind of like fizzled out after, which is, there's nothing wrong with that happens a lot. Um, but then I got a call from one of these producers and they're like, we're doing a show called Songland. It's about songwriters. And I was like, the fuck you are. <laughs> <laughs> like, I go, who wants to watch that? Like, no one wants to watch that. It actually, if the pandemic screwed that show up, but that was actually good television. Yeah. Like I was like, so it was, I felt like I was like, I don't know if I wanted, they were like, send us some songs that you don't have cut yet. And that means cut means like other artists have already are taking them for their records. So I sent them like four songs. There was a song called shine down. They like fell in love with it. And they called me back like the next day and they were like, Hey, can you be in LA on Monday? We want to tape this. And, uh, it's the first episode. So like, we want to tape it. We need to tape it next week. Cause it was like literally episode one of the entire show. It was like the pilot almost. Wow. And I was like, uh, I mean, I guess I could, I was really nervous because the voice was like, brought me so much anxiety. I can't even hear that. Like, you know, that like, this is the voice before every time I hear that I get like, it feels like I'm going to like need to poop. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can't like the voice is not on at my house anymore. Like too much like, uh, post-traumatic stress on that that experience because it's just a lot to go through when you've never done anything like it it's nothing that they did it's just like 
it's just intense. So anyway, I was like, cool. And they were like, look, it's not as intense as the voice. Like this is, there's only four of you. And it's just like, it's not even really a competition because you know, writing songs is it's subjective. Like these songs that are going to be, it's four songs. We've already picked them. They're already good. All the four, so all four of your songs are good. It's not a competition, like whatever. So we end up doing it. They don't tell you who the artist is though. So that is kind of the disconnect because when you're a writer for a living, because at that time I was full-time writing, like I had gotten some cuts and I had my deal at BMG. So I, I wasn't really gigging too much. Anymore. I was gigging a little bit in Massachusetts, but I wasn't doing a ton of it. And I was doing like mostly, uh, like private events if I could, or like I'd play some shows in Nashville when I could do that at like, um, uh, you know, the writer's rounds that they have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would do like bluebird or like I would do, do you um, like Acme and shit like that? No, I would do the listening room a bunch. Nice. Um, and you know, like I'd pick up a little bread that way. So like, I wasn't really like actively working, but anyway, so I go out there. It was a really cool experience. They tell you it's John legend. The second I got out there and I was like, all right, this isn't the song I would pitch to John Legend, the song <laughs> that you picked for me to pitch to John Legend, like, but whatever. And it, and it was a great experience, but that kind of like was another cool little moment. It was a moment. You know what I mean? I ended up like releasing that song on my own. It like charted on the country charts, which it wasn't a really, it's not a really a country song. Dude, it was on, it was on iTunes for a while. I remember like, yeah. There were constant updates, um, you know, being a follower of yours, like constant updates, like week after week. It was on there for a few weeks. Uh, I have a question about that whole reality realm. So yeah, um, I have a bunch of boys that were on like the Bachelor shows and obviously Chase Rice, my partner was on Survivor and I've talked with people that were on those shows and they are like very honest and admit that a lot of it is very rehearsed and manipulated and not, not to alter like the outcome or like that it's fixed or anything, but they will take a situation and craft it obviously for the audience. Like, was there any of that not trying to like get you in trouble or have you throw anyone under the bus? Is there any no. of that on, on these like music shows or is it like what you see on TV is, is what you're getting? Well, I mean, here's the thing is like, I think like it's the answer to that is, is kind of be kind of vague. It's like, yes and no. So the thing is, is like they have producers on that show that are the best in the business in all those, anyone that works on idol, anyone that works in the voice, anyone that works on any of these reality TV shows, survivor, the bachelor, these producers, they can see how to spin something before you even know that you're caught. Right. You know what I mean? Like before you've like tripped yourself up into like something that you didn't want portrayed, they already know how to get it out of you because that's their job, man. They're really good at their job. So I think certain things, yeah, for sure get like, I mean, edited. I mean, listen, we're doing a podcast right now. Like I don't, you could go in and edit 
this however you want to make this look. You know what I mean? I'm going to do it. You're going to look terrible, dude. I know. I can already feel it. I knew that you were a total douchebag, Colin. That's all I'm here. Dude, honestly, Dante only invited me because I just have that producer mindset where I'm just going to fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I think that like, like I didn't see like, you don't see too much of that. Like on my end also too, dude, like I'm, I wasn't like, I like when you're watch when you're watching it back. I'm I'm you probably didn't even want to watch it afterwards. But when you're I've watching it back, watched, I've never watched myself. Yeah, see that's weird to me. Like I would I would have to watch myself because I've seen I would clips be, of it. I've seen clips. Well, listen, when clips. you're when you're watching it back and you're watching the show, are you like, wait a minute, that is not what fucking happened. That's not how that sounded. That's not how that went down. Wait, they they did three takes of that. Are you ever like? this is bullshit or well, a lot of is it is it- TV, man. Like, so you know that that's already going to happen. So like, right. okay. So they do like just to go like behind the scenes into that kind of stuff. There's like days where you just shoot B roll where it's like, it's okay. So, uh, this is so funny. <laughs> this is so funny. Like they bring, like, they brought like my mom and my girlfriend out when I did the voice and they like flew them out and they were psyched. They were so psyched. And I also feel bad for them too, because this is my dream and they didn't really want to be on camera, but like they kind of force it on you. And like, I felt they were just going, they were really good sports. They went along with the flow, but you know, like there'll be a scene, you know, like all those like scenes where it looks like it's all happening on the same day. Yeah. Nothing happens on the same day. They like do you have, this is this is actually to, do you have to wear the same outfits and shit? So what they do is listen to this. This is great. So this is a good insight into TV. So what they do is you have your outfit, right? That they they help you pick out too, which is really great because I suck at clothes. So that's like really good. <laughs> and uh they like pick your outfit out for you and then uh you wear it all day to film and then you go down to the dressing room area and they take pictures of you like your entire body like your chest your legs your sneakers your hat your makeup for that day like they take pictures at the beginning as soon as you get dressed and then at the end when you get back and then when they do that that so it's a it's called they have a whole department on those shows called continuity so the next day they have overnight they have all your clothes dry cleaned and then the next day you come you come back, your clothes are ready for you in your area. You put your outfit on and then the wardrobe person takes the pictures and compares it. And it's like, okay, that's exactly right. And then literally, I remember one time, like I had like, like, uh, what did I, I had like a bracelet, uh, like a bracelet on. And like the woman was like, wait, wait, no, take that off. You didn't have that on yesterday. Like they're really <laughs> good. Like they're wow. incredible at that. I think everybody can slip up and make mistakes. That's why sometimes you notice things even in movies that are like, wait, why has his shirt not have a pocket or like, what is going on here? But you know, what would they, they have done if you, if you shaved your beard? Oh, well at the time I didn't really, at that time on the voice, I didn't really have a big beard. Oh, okay. But they even, when I did Songland, when I did Songland, they had like literally someone there to do my beard. Oh my God. And they had to make, and they took pictures of my, the left side of my face and the right side of my face. And they like made it sure like every day that we filmed, it was the same. Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable. So I want to get to kind of where I know you from. Yeah. Where I got introduced to you. Cause sure. when Dante said we were doing this. I was like, I know who that guy is. When did, 
Instagram and TikTok become kind of this place where you were putting up these covers and that's kind of where this whirlwind kind of started. Okay. So at the beginning, like right before the pandemic, like we had heard about, um, we had like heard about COVID, but we, at that time, but we didn't really know, you know what I mean? Like we didn't know the whole world was going to change because of it. But, uh, so like probably in, in January, I had always covered hip hop stuff too. Like during show, like acoustic, I played bars, bro, for 10 years. Like I would play like a biggie song. I would throw things in there. Like I would do like R and B, like even like reggae, like everything, you know? So, (laughs) so a friend of mine was like, I had been just writing. I was just in full blown, like songwriter mode. So I was just like writing songs, like, for everybody, anyone that wanted my songs, I'd do it. I had a publishing deal. They put me, I was in sessions every day. It was awesome. And a friend of mine says, so you're just not going to be an artist anymore. You just done with that. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm really done with it. I think I've made peace with it. I gave it a shot. That's what I, I remember saying that to him. I was like, I gave it, I gave it my all. And he was like, no, you didn't. He that's, was a good, like, that's a good friend. Yeah. He was like, he's like, I, he's like, I don't think so, man. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And I kind of got a little defensive and he's like, he's like, you know, if I could sing, like you sing, I'd want to do it until people heard it. Mm. Like, he's like, there's a billions of people in the world. Nobody knows who you are. Like, it's great for you to write these songs. And I know that you're happy cause he knew how happy I was. Like I was really, really happy doing that. And, uh, he's like, but you have like this gift and if you don't use it, like it's a waste, like that's such a waste of, of talent, you know? And I was like, well, that kind of hits harm home and hits pretty hard, you know? And this was, I'll remember this cause it was like right around Christmas Dude, who was this? That's a great friend. Yeah, man. your boy just literally did the Goodwill hunting thing where uh, Ben Affleck says to Matt Damon, like, if I, if I fucking show up to your house tomorrow and you're still there, I'm beating the shit out of you. That's literally yeah. what he did to you. Well, he did, he did it in like a more like, I, I, I probably am like remembering it a little bit. No, but that, like that's hard to do, that. man. That's hard to have like a, a talk with your friend like that. So yeah. he also said to me, he goes, so it was, it, this was like my boy, my boy Ernest who lived in LA and I hadn't seen him in a really long time. Um, but he's also friends with like, like Saint and my other buddy, Eric, who co-wrote the single with me and like a bunch of other people, my, my buddy, Nick Black, he, like we all knew each other from Worcester and he was living in LA and he was hanging out with Saint all the time. He was working in music with him a lot. And, and, and he, and he called me and then he was, and he said all that stuff to me and he goes, you know, Saint and I like, and he goes, obviously, like you do, you're doing these records with, like, obviously, I'm still really close with Saint, right? So he was like, you know, we always were like, I wish that we had an artist that we could just like work with and work on and like all this stuff. And then they were always like, we do have that. Sam's like sitting at his house just writing songs for other people all day. And he goes to Nashville two weeks a month. And they're like, we already have somebody that plays and sings great. Like, why don't we just like do something? So he says to me, he goes, you know, why don't you just try, try it out? He really encouraged me. He really did. He goes, he goes, um, 
this is stuff that you do anyway. Why don't you just put it up online? And I was like, bro, I don't want to be a fucking cover artist Mm. on the internet. Like that's not, not it for me. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, man, like he goes, just do it. Why don't you just do it? Like, what do you have to lose? He goes, no one. He's like, you have no Instagram followers. He's like, what are you just, just fucking do it. He goes, let's just start putting it up on Instagram. Like he goes, I'll help you. I was like, okay. Um, and so I ended up just recording these covers, like in my living room. And we ended up like working as a team on it too. Like, um, like it was like a, you know, like input, like it had like, uh, my boy, Eric and Corey and, and Saint and Ernest. And it was just kind of like a fun thing. It was like really relaxed. And it was just like, dude, you do this anyway. And like, we'll help you out. And like, we'll give you like, you know, why don't you like record one and like send it to us. And if we think it's cool, then you should post it, you know, whatever. So the first, so I literally had like almost no following. I had like 5,000 Instagram followers that was just like so inactive because right. I never used it. I never posted. And when I did, it was like a poster picture of like a beer, a cool beer bottle that I saw like at a fucking bar. Like there was no, like there was no like a uh, continuity to my page. I didn't know about any of that shit. I didn't care, you know? So I, th- we throw the first cover up. I did the box by Roddy Rich. The song was big at yes. the time. And all of a sudden, like we, I put it up. I didn't think really anything of it. I, people were commenting on it a little bit, not really a ton, a little bit. The first like couple hours, I answered some of the comments and then um, I put the, I was in Nashville. I like put the phone away. I like went to a bar with some friends, like come back, wake up the next day. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I get like 6,000 followers overnight. That's pretty cool. So people were like sharing it, reposting it, like doing all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is really dope. So then, then I got excited a little bit. I was like, cool, we should do another one. Let's do another one. So then, so then I did life is good, uh, which Drake and future. Yeah. And it had just come out and it was like all over the radio. And <laughs> this was fucking crazy. So we post it. It starts to do a little bit better earlier. And then, the next day I wake up and like, I went from like 12,000 followers to like 24,000 followers. And I was like, Holy shit, that's a huge jump. And a complex magazine had posted it on their Instagram. They like grabbed it. And this was like, not like, none of this was like part of the plan. Like they had just posted it. So then, so then I hit Dante and, and I was like, Dante, I was like, I'm doing these covers now. And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing these fucking covers on online. They're pretty cool. It's like, they're, they weren't really covers. They're like reimaginings. You know what I mean? Because some of the songs don't sound anything like it. Like, so I was like, like, I'm doing these things online. Like, just check it out. I'm going to send you the link. And Complex just posted this. Like maybe like Barstool, like I've loved Bars. Dante did the, I've loved Barstool since the Blackout tour. Dante did the Barstool blackout tour and I fucking like was hooked on Barstool ever since, you know? So, um, so, and so Dante was like, all right, I'll send it to a couple people. Like, we'll see how it goes. And he did me like the biggest solid on earth. 
I forget who you sent it to, Dante, but they posted it that that same day. It was a Friday. Of course, like I leave it to the end of the week to hit Dante. Like, <laughs> hey man, I got these covers. I know it's the end of the week. Like, so they end up posting it. You guys post it. Barstool posts it, and this says a lot about Barstool Sports. The engagement on Barstool is higher than any site I've ever seen in history. Like, it's fucking bananas. I went in the first night that that was online, I went up 50,000 followers. Jesus Christ. On Instagram from one post. I don't even get that from my company. I got like 20,000 total. Bro, if you want to listen, you're playing guitar now. You should just cover some hip hop shit. I'll show you the way. Oh my Let's god! Do it. Little Zoom sessions. Um, I'll get you, bro. I got you. So I'll can create, we? I'll create something it's, for you, and then you get to the point it. where I can hear a song and like I can really shitty play the chords of the song within five minutes, and people could be like, "Oh, I know that song." All right, Sam. Here's what we're gonna do: me, you. Kenny and Dante are going to get in a studio. We'll film the whole thing. We're going to put together something for White Sox Dave. He's going to record this shit with us, and I want to see how many new followers he gets from it. <laughs> All right, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I I love it. Let's play that. Let's play the. Um, let's play that game. Follower roulette. But it yeah. was crazy. So it was like it ended up being like close to fifty thousand followers in the first twenty four hours. It was so crazy that I remember like. I called, uh, I called Lincoln, my manager. And I was like, bro, look at the Instagram. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, look at the Instagram. It's fucking crazy. And it was so, it was like one of those things, like it was like a movie montage where the screen is just like, (laughs) so many comments, so many, like, which is, which I think speaks to the content too, because the content was obviously good because the, in order to like click from that page to my page and follow and do like everything else oh, on yeah. the page. Like that's what people were doing. It was nuts. And, uh, it was just, it was so crazy. And then it was on the f- Facebook all weekend long. Like I think on you guys' Facebook page, it had like almost 2 million views on Facebook. And then it had, um, it just went crazy on my Instagram and went crazy on your Instagram. And then it just kind of like spiraled from there. Then like more people started picking it up. And then I started just dropping like more covers. So I was like, wow, this is actually leading to stuff. And then I realized like, holy shit, I was getting like show offers to go do these, these covers, like private events everywhere, like all this other stuff. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is cool. And then the whole world shut off Mm. right as that happened. Like that happened that happened what Dante? I think that was like February. Yep. Literally right February. before fucking pandemic. Yeah. And so I I went to LA right after that. I flew from Nashville to LA and I was with my boys. We were gonna make some more songs in the studio. And I was like, we'll do some covers while I'm out here too. And we end up like posting uh um we then we so this was actually cool we should talk about this before the whole shutdown of the world and i mean the shutdown of the world the nice thing was is my stuff lived on the internet so it didn't shut me down it actually happened it helped me more than it hurt me because everybody was home looking at their phone um so 
I was like on a roll there. But then what started happening, which was fucking crazy, was I started covering the artists and the artists themselves actually started fucking yeah, yeah, commenting, yeah. sharing it. Like, like I would cover like a Nicki Minaj song and she would put it on her, on her page and literally like write in my comments, like how dope it was like on there. Like it was fire. Like, um, the baby, the baby, literally, this is, this is hilarious. So this one was, I was like, I messaged you like fucking mind blown. So fucking funny and random. It was so crazy. So like I did a the baby song and he, um, he commented on it like right away. And he was like, I forget exactly what he said. Uh, I forget exactly what he said, but then literally like three days later, I was sitting on my couch and I got a FaceTime from a random number and that never happens to me. So I was like, I'm going to randomly pick this up. And it was the baby. What? <laughs> what did he say? I was sitting like literally on, on, we had a different couch at the time, but I was sitting like on right here in the same spot with my son, just like sitting here. And I'm like, this is weird. So I like pick it up. And he's like, yo, what up? It's baby. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, I know who you are exactly. You don't have to tell me who you are. We, and we were, on, we were on a FaceTime for like 45 minutes. Jesus. And he was Christ. so dope, like so nice. Just like, yo, what, keep doing what you're doing, bro. It's like really fire. And Dude, so but you've, got, you've got love from like Khaled, Drake. Dude, like- DJ, DJ Khaled is, he, that guy, first of all, I've never met him. Even still, but every single time that dude shows me more love than anybody. That is the nicest guy on earth. I've heard like, that like through the grapevine, he's just an awesome dude. Yeah. Dude, he Dave, every single time that I've done anything where a song that he's been a part of, you know, because he's everywhere. And every time I do something that he's a part of the song, he immediately posts it on his page. Not even story, like right to his actual page. Like he's comments all over my stuff. He sends me messages in the DMs. Like he's like the nicest dude on earth. I want to work. I, I hope that when, before my album is finished, finished, I can do a song with him because he, he's so dope, like so nice, but like literally, okay, this is, this is crazy. I did a, on, uh, on Biggie's anniversary, I dropped a cover of Juicy. That's good. And I dropped this cover of Juicy and Diddy left me a voicemail in my DMs on Instagram. I still have it. You got to play that shit right now. Yeah, no. you do. You didn't even tell me about that, man. You're no, I, don't even have, I don't have my, I, it's, it's, I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to share a voicemail from somebody because it's, that's private that what he said, but like he, it was, I like couldn't believe that in the slightest bit. Like it was like, what did, he say? what did he say? Can you like paraphrase yeah, like a gist of it? But he just was like, yo, I just want you to know like that, that like meant a lot. And like, that was really dope. And, um, my boy De Niro sent, sent me the video and, um, that's crazy. And, that's like wild, man. It was crazy. So then, it, then it just started to become a thing. You know what I mean? And I think like, and, and I'm still, and I'm st- I just posted another cover last week. Um, uh, Kodak Black and Kodak Black shared it on his page, which was really dope. Um, but it's just like it's what Dude, I, so. Are you gonna capitalize on all these like fucking interactions? Like, you gonna do fucking features with these guys or what? I mean, I'm gonna we kill got, you if you don't. 
I've got some fire features on the record. I don't want to talk. I can't really talk about the features. No, that's oh. fine. Let's, let's talk about the one that just dropped, though, and how, and how the hell yeah, this yeah, came Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this thing, the single's dropping. We're going to release this on Tuesday, so it'll be out for a couple days. But give us yeah. the story behind the new single. Okay, so the single, the single's called Going Through It. Um, I had written the verses in the chorus with some friends. Uh, during the pandemic, I was like, I need to work on original music. That's, the whole goal of this was to put out original music. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that wasn't really the goal. At, the first, at first, I was like, fuck it. We're just going to throw it out on the internet and we'll see how it does. Like, what is not going to hurt? But then it started to, like, become a thing. And when it became a thing, I was like, okay, we got to start writing some songs. Yeah. And so I got this crew together and we rented in the middle of the summer. I rented a, a, like a cabin in Vermont on the mountain. And it was really, really dope. And we, we were there for a week and we wrote a ton of songs and a few of them are going to make the album for sure. Um, but one of them was this song going through it. And it, it just like, I wanted to do, this project differently. I felt like every other thing that I had written was I was in for years. I was just in writer mode. So I wasn't really talking about my life. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't talking about my life experience. Like I was, I was being so general because that's how you sell songs to people. It's like, you can't, you can't talk about like a street in Worcester. People are like, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? So, so like, I was just like, everything I do, is going to be authentic to me. I just want it to be like my story and my life. And like, I had a great crew of dudes with me and like, we ended up writing this song going through it. And it's like really like about being, um, it's exactly about what we've talked about on this whole podcast. Like the lull, the, it's all about like the lull and coming out of the lull. And like when it gets low, it's all about the lowest. Like there was a really like tough time in my life, bro. That, and we've talked about it a little bit earlier, but like, uh, like it was just, it was just tough, bro. Like I was having like a really tough time. I was going through it, not to be like the stupid cheesiest dad ever, but <laughs> um, it was just like a really, really rough time. And I was like, kind of like just fucking up my life. You know, like I was like doing drugs and I was like just really like drinking a lot. And like I and I would just <laughs> you listen to the lyrics of the song. It's like tells the whole story. So it, it really is like that was my story, you know, when I was like 19 and I like teleported myself back to that time. And um, but yeah, the song is anyway, you uh, we skipped to the release of the song. So we wrote the song. Then, um, then Saint played it for the guys from internet money and they were like, yo, we want to produce this. This is sick. And we were like, all right, cool. And I had done a cover of lemonade. So they had knew who I was a little bit because they, they had like put it on their page pages because it's a group of guys, you know, right. <laughs> a lot of them had put it on their pages and like, so we grabbed like, um, Pharaoh and Alec. Like Alec, um, was, it plays guitar. He's like really dope. There's actually a page on my Instagram right now. You can see a video. We have like the making of the, of going through it. You know what I mean? Which was really dope because we ended up going in, in with them, like on a zoom. And cause it was the middle of the pandemic. Right. And like, 
and my boy Nick and I like reworked a lot of the lyrics and stuff like that. Like they liked what it was, but we were like needed to build it out. It was super rough. So we changed like some lyrics. We were like changing melody and like doing a bunch of stuff. And uh, these guys knocked it out of the park, but we only wrote one verse. So we were like, we always wanted there to be a feature. Like we were like, we got to get a feature on this. And, and Dante, the same thing, like the, all the guys we were working with, they're like, dude, just slide into people's DMs, bro. Like people have like commented to you, like, just like, yes, get one of these people to do it. And, uh, and I'm like, dude, you know who would sound sick on this? And I had never covered a bag song. I never had. So like, he didn't know who I was. But I was like, you know who would sound sick on this is just like, I just wanted that. I wanted that like Memphis sound. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Like I just felt like it needed it. And I was like, Moneybag Yo would be fucking sick on this. And everybody was like, yeah, it's great. You know Moneybag Yo, why don't you just fucking call him then? And I was like, no, I, I don't know him. I'm like, it would be really dope though if he was on it. So Lincoln went to work, got the record to him, the produced version with internet money. And then he, uh, he heard the record and he was like, yeah, I'll do this. I'll be, I'll jump on this. Oh, he's using that, right? Yeah. Did you, did you go to like rush and cover a money bag yo song just so he would be able to see it and then slide? The no, no, no. I didn't dude. I, none, not honestly, like, and I'm not trying to be that guy because like no one is like a, no one's a perfect person, but like when it comes to my, the music, like I never did anything. I never want to do anything that seems disingenuous. Mm. Like, there's, we got a lot. This was, this is also really weird. So once all the covers started blowing up, record labels were reaching out right away, but not to sign me. They were reaching out. They wanted to pay me to cover new songs that were just dropping. What? Yeah. Shady. So oh, shady. shady. No, 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 no. I mean, dude, it's not really on their part. It's not really shady. It's, just it's smart. It's, it's marketing, bro. Like they just wanted to like, they were like, your page gets a lot of engagement. So we have a song that's just dropping next week. And if you drop this after like a week after it comes out, then it will help push the record. Cause people that might not have heard it will be like, what song is it? You know, blah, 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 like all that shit. We, I never, I never wanted to do that. Like ever. Um, like we got so many requests like that, bro. Or like, and every, every like 20 minutes, there was like a rapper in the DMs being like, how much to cover my song? How much to cover my song? Like, like, you know, not, not like a, someone like a bags or like a, a Nikki or somebody like that. But like we get, I still get that all the time, but I can't do, I, I'm not going to like put something out that I don't believe in. Right. It's just not like, and that's you're just, not a whore. You're not a whore. No. And it's not be a whore. <laughs> I would too. I'm thinking right now, how the fuck can I, uh, yeah. Sorry. Dave, there, Dave, there's your Avenue. Do crappy covers that get a bunch of engagement and just start whoring yourself out to record labels. I, I, I got, that's a great to idea. Dave, you should do it. Dave, I'll support it. I'll put you on my page. Let's go. But Dave, not like John Mayer songs. You need, we got to find you like ratchet, Hip hop songs. Okay, yeah, but no, you think, no, no I, I got hamster, hamster wheels are spinning. I mean, Dave, that's what don't don't you guys think like that's what my page moves? 
because it's not what you would think it is. Exactly. No, that's that's the best part. If you look it. at my picture, if you look at my picture, they'd be like, "This like Travis Tripp motherfucker is yeah. probably be like, like Amish about fucking trucks and beer." But they're like, maybe because his clothes are like, his clothes don't scream country, but his hat is country. He's got a fucking beard. He's kind of stocky. Like this dude, like a hundred percent, like a hundred and ten percent, does not sing like cover hip-hop songs and then the first thing i hear out of you is got the juice coding got me tripping yo the first thing i heard was the lemonade cover which i'm a huge don toliver fan so like i was like bro i'm a huge fan and i'm a fucking huge fan of that song me too that's one of my favorite songs that's come out in the last few years like i fucking you know do you know that song you know that song was out for a long time right i didn't know that actually that's dude. This is the thing, man. This is like, we go back to the perseverance and sticking with it. That song had like so many different formations of that song before it was what you heard. Yeah. And it was even out in the world before with a totally different beat. Bro. The fact that Don Tolliver existed and wasn't found. And then like, yeah, Don, Don Tolliver might have the most unique voice in music right now. But then you have Taz Taylor, who is the head of one of the heads of internet money. And he's like a, he was an a to label and he was a, he's a big producer and he's a fucking genius. So you have people like that, like that can see it and they see their vision through. They're like, this song is going to be a top 10 record. We just have to get it, get it right. And you, you see your vision through. So that's like the, the whole thing with me has been, uh, the whole thing with me has just been like, uh, see it through. <laughs> like even when I started doing the covers online, like it was great. And like it started, it ended up being great. I thought it was going to be like a fun project and it still is a fun project. Like it really was a fun project, but it turned into like something really real, like really quick. Like a lot of people like will cover stuff online for years yep. and it, it, and then maybe a video will take off. This happened so fast. Like it was so, so quick. But I mean, I just think like, everything I did in music led up to this. So it, I've been working hard for a decade. Like it wasn't like a new thing. hundred percent. I, I, I forget who the fucking quote is, but I use it all the time. Luck is preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, you've got your opportunity. You've got your opportunity now, my man. It's same. I mean, it's been, we've pushed, we've never done an over two hour interview. This oh, has been fucking it. incredible. <laughs> this um, is great. I'll, I'm going to leave it in. I'm going to leave it in your hands to make, make us all look good. <laughs> it's going to be, dude, it's going to be great. Yeah. We don't have to do anything. It was a great conversation. And this, when are you dropping? Midnight tonight. So, so in for, so that'd be eight hours from now. Cause you guys are uh, an hour ahead, but. From the sounds of it, man, it's going to fucking crush. I Thanks, bro. Like, I really hope so. I mean, like, I'm trying to, uh, like, it's a game, you know? Like, oh, it's yeah. a game. Like, I feel like I've done, like, everybody that's been a part of the record put their heart in this. And, like, I really believe in, like, the message of the record. And I really believe, like, in the song. And I think it's really, it's catchy enough to go. Um, it's just really about, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like, if you like the record, share it with your friends. <laughs> like that's what it's all about, bro. It's all about. It's all about. Get eyes on it, man. If you if you listen to this podcast and you don't listen to going through it, don't listen to the podcast again. <laughs> Fuck you. 
to all of our listeners. Go it's like with, Ricky Bobby. It's like, it's, what does he do? If you don't chew Big Red, you don't chew fuck Big you. Red, fuck you. Goddamn right. Sammy, uh, so after this, what do you, what's, what's on deck? Like, what's in the works? What's, what's the plan? All right, so I have another huge single that's like almost done. Um, we're just waiting. I we're heard it. It's awesome. Yeah, but what you didn't hear about who's going to be on it, though. Oh, can you tell uh, us, or is this off limits? I can't tell you. Son of a bitch! I tell you off. I'll tell you off the record later. But All I right. can't. Tell you. Um, it's great big. name, great, it's great fucking song. Though. Colin, you'll love it. It's, I can't, it's right up your alley. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. And you got to promise me one thing. Yeah, you'll come back on. Oh, a hundred percent. I love this. This was a great time. Like I loved it. Yeah, shooting the breeze, man. It's the best. It's what it's all about, sure. man. It really is. It really is good. Everybody. Now, I love I love your story though, man. I love getting it out to people because I get and again, like I'm fucking nobody compared to you. And it's no, awesome. No, no, it's awesome seeing Colin on his journey and I know he's gonna make it real soon. And oh, our dude. our other partner who's usually on here, Kenny, is like He's made it. He's fucking super successful. So Hate that guy. it's funny when I get, I get a lot of DMs from people asking like, Hey, I'm 23 years old. Like, do you have any advice for someone? Like all, all different kinds of stories. And people are always looking for just advice and, you know, someone to tell them like, don't give up, don't quit. And it's awesome getting your story out there to people because it's such a fucking great story. And it's such a case of you said it perseverance. I mean, it's just the end at the end of the day, like, and you're nowhere near done either. I don't feel, I don't feel close to done. Like I'm not going to be done. Like, I mean, I hope if it doesn't, if I've, I've had, I have such a nice life right now. Like I can't like, that's the one thing is like, I have a really beautiful family and that to, that's the first, first and foremost, music was always my first love. And then, you know, then things change a little bit. Like music is definitely second for me now. Um, I have like an incredible family and like, and that to me is like winning. Mm. Like I've won on that front, which is really, really nice. But the, I musically, I'm not fucking close to done. Like if it ended tomorrow, I would be really, really sad. I would be like, wow, I had a really, like a lot of really cool shit happen to me, but I feel like I have so much more. Like I've got, now that I'm writing only for myself again, pretty much like the shit that's coming out is absurd. Like I can't wait. Like I really think the album, first of all, the thing I think that if people are listening, like what they're going to like about the album is like, you, you see what I do on Instagram. It's like a lot of hip hop based. There's songs like going through it who definitely have like a hip hop vibe for sure. Um, with like some pop elements in it, a hundred percent. But like the album is like if Post Malone and John Mayer and freaking James Taylor and freaking Biggie had a baby and that's what the album is. So I think there's like something for everybody on this. Like there's like, I've got like two acoustic, like, acoustic vocals songs like that's it then i've got like some songs that are way more produced like going through it then the next single and dante's heard it is like a real story like it's got like even a little bit of it's it all flows together when you listen to the record because it's me 
uh, it's all me, but like, it's, I can't wait for you to hear the rest of the stuff. It's great. I can't wait to listen, man. God damn it, dude. I'm like, I, we, we talk about like, a, like our releases that are coming up that you're excited about. And for me personally, I haven't really had one. Um, I was a little excited for Donda, but at the same time, like I didn't really like his previous couple albums. I'm excited for this one, man. Thanks. Do you want to hear a funny story about Donda? Yes. (laughs) I'll leave you with this story. So I got a call like two weeks before Donda. Is Donda 2 fully out? I don't even know. Nobody knows really. Donda, have you listened to it? I don't know because I don't have the fucking stem player. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's on his website. It's on his website. It's on stemplayer.com. Oh, you can listen to it on there? Yeah, you can stream it. Is the whole thing on there? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's reworked versions of Donda One and a few cutting room, uh, like, scraps that didn't make the first album. Nothing, like, earth-shattering. I think Kanye, first of all, I'm going on the record, is I think Kanye is an absolute genius. And, like, and Same yeah, here. Anyone that says that he isn't is out of their minds. Like, musically, like, he's an absolute genius. So... But it was a funny story about this. So like two weeks before Donda 2 came out, this dude, uh, this producer who I worked with a bunch, not on my own stuff, but like just, we just like over the pandemic got together and wrote like a bunch of hooks and like some other shit. And he goes, yo, remember this song? I'm not going to say what it's called just in case it ever does come out. And I don't want to like step on Kanye's uh, nuts on this, but like, he's like, he's like, remember that song? And I was like, yeah like what are you talking about that song for it's not even finished and he goes literally like kanye cut it last night for donda too fuck you dude. and i was like what and he's like yeah they asked for the stems and they asked for the lyrics and like kanye cut the record wait and wait 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 wait. that's what you so, ended on instead of starting on <laughs> hey you can edit this dude, out what you edit it you can move things back and forth right are that's you fucking wait, dude, kidding what me what song I what song it didn't obviously it didn't make it because I never heard anything else again about it. But that's how Kanye works, bro. He'll cut like he'll write. So it was just a hook. So he probably wrote a whole song around it, cut it. He probably did he probably cut a hundred songs for Donda too. And then he changes the track listing whenever he feels like it. Now that it's on his own player format, he can go right now and just erase the songs and re put new ones in for all for all we know. You know what I mean? Like but so yeah. you, you're living in a world where you don't know whether or not Kanye West used one of your hooks. I know that <laughs> obviously he heard it and then he cut it, but that's all we heard back from it because that dude, that, those projects, those projects are so under wraps, bro. They're so top secret. That's why you're wearing all black right now. You're a part of this whole thing. This is Nashville Brown. Oh, okay. Well then I'm you wrong. You can't tell because my room, the room is a little bit dark. Well, that's one hell of a way to leave the conversation. Hey, you know, you just drop a bomb and leave Brady, Tom Brady style. Except he comes back. Bro, I'm, I'm Dante, I know you're excited about it. I'm fired up. The NFL is not the same without Tom Brady. I'm just going to say it. I don't even know I, if the NFL is different without Tom Brady. I've never known a life without him. I don't think I didn't even start watching football until Tom Brady started playing. I got, by the way, I don't know if you guys do this on Barstool, but you should. Um, I got wicked into card breaking. Oh, the packs? Oh, yeah, dude. I do it like three nights a week. What's the best one um, you pulled? I've just pulled. Okay, so this is crazy, and you can, look, you can look it up. There's only one 
I pulled this the other day and I'm trying, I'm getting it graded this weekend, a PSA grade on it because I pulled this out of a pack the other day out of a, a hobby box. It's a Mac Jones rookie. It's a, a holographic SSR, like very rare print of this one card. And only one other one has been online that I could, that anyone can find all my friends that do big breaks. Like they break like, $200,000 worth of product a week. Like, and they're like, they, no one knew what it was. That's how rare this is. And there's one comp online. It's for sale right now on eBay for 20 grand. So I'm psyched about that. That's the card I'm really excited about. So I'm going to, I'm taking it to my boy in Boston. Uh, actually, you know, you know, big night Dante, they have a card breaking business. now. Yeah. You know, I know Chris like really well, you know, he's uh, a Worcester guy, right? Is he the one that does the cards? Yeah, he's he played for the Blue Jays for a little while. Oh shit! I think I I knew his um he was he dated this girl Allie for a really long time, right? Yeah, he's a, he's another he's he's another Worcester guy, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's the man. He does all the breaks with them. Yeah, so I'm going to see. I think I'm going to do a break, uh, like an album promo. Like I'm going to do a live break uh, next week with them. So I'll meet, really meet Chris then, but the, I'm going to see Chris with Tim on Saturday because I want to get this card looked at like for real, because I've like, I don't know what to do with it. Like every time I hold it now, I saw that number and I, my hand, yeah, went. I, dude, fucking ensure that thing. Well, I got to get it. You have to get it graded first. Is like the whole thing. If you really want to make money on it, you got to get them graded. But if a thing comes back at like an eight, I'm going to be bummed. Jesus Christ. All right. We're yeah. cutting this. This has been incredible. Sam James. Everybody go listen to the new single. Get ready for the album. Sam, we'll have you back. Thank you so much for being here, brother. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Sam, you're the man. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, dude. All right. So that was our friend Sam James. Go stream his new single, Going Through It, on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere right now. Watch out for this dude because he's going to be everywhere shortly. Great guy. Great interview. Can't wait to have him back. Uh, let's go through some music news before we do. I was talking to Kenny about this before we got on the podcast, but had our first show back for Foxtrot in Philly since before the pandemic. And uh, I made a fatal mistake. Uh, I didn't eat all day and then drank a lot. So I was kind of fucked up on stage and I'm not going to lie about that. Like uh, it was to the point where uh, I got a bunch of texts after that. I just kept repeating the phrase, let's fucking go over and over and over again. Uh, but it was a great song. Oh, great. Hey, I'm. Uh, it, it was. It was fun. It was a uh, side of me I haven't seen in a while, and I'll be honest, dude. Until like the fifth song, I was like, "Is this really happening? Like, are we actually like back on stage in the venue we used to tear up all the time? Like, it was slightly surreal. Like, even sound checking, it was like, did two years of my life just go by? Like, it, it, it felt like it was yesterday. So, I think it was a mixture of not eating and then drinking, and then like the surreal element of what was going on. But shouts out to. Uh, hundreds of people that packed that venue out. It was a great night. Felt great to back, get back out on stage. But Kenny, what's the drunkest you've ever been on stage? Oh, God. I played a whole show laying down one time. <laughs> uh, I was playing guitar in a band and we all got, we'd like, we would rehearse the day before, like the day of a show. So we'd yep. start in the morning rehearsing, then go to soundcheck. We started drinking at rehearsal. And by the time we played at like 10 p.m., we were all so fucked up, and I played the whole thing laying on my back on the floor. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, dude. 
Uh, I was thinking, was there ever like an AWOL show? Because like that, that might have been one of the most tuned up I've ever been. Which, what? By the way, we didn't fuck there's up. There was plenty, nothing like that. But like at, AWOL shows where we were all super hammered. They used to say the drunker I would get, the more three sixties I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the drunker I get, the more I just scream, "Let's fucking go!" Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, have you ever done a podcast too fucked up? Uh, no, no. Uh, hungover <laughs> a million times. I mean, growing up playing sports, that's. Baseball, especially if you're not playing baseball hungover, you're not playing baseball. Facts. Um, never drunk. I, I did show up. So in college, we, my, you, you guys have all seen the show Cribs, of course. Of course. Um, Jermaine Dye was on Cribs one time. And this was moving day my freshman year of college. And I, I was moving in with a kid who went to a, a, a rival high school, but him and I were buddies. And uh, he was also on the baseball team. And, uh, we're like unpacking boxes and shit. And we had one of these fucking big ass, like 300 pound tube TVs, you know, in, in the dorm room. And this is like a 12 by 12 room, you know? And uh, we're, we threw on cribs just like as background noise. And Jermaine Dye, who was a right fielder for the White Sox at the time. Um, he was a world series MVP actually for the White Sox in 2005. Uh, he was on the show and he's like going over his car collection. He had like Mercedes, Lambos, whatever he had. And this random kid from across the hall came in and he's like, I drove that car to pick up his wife at the airport. I drove this car to like do his, uh, take his suits to get uh, like dry cleaned or whatever. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about, man? He's like, oh, I'm the bat boy for the White Sox. So he, him and I became really good friends. We're still friends to this day. And side note, he made like 25 grand cash a summer in tips. Back when we were like, when he was, he was doing it from when he was 12 through like 21. Jesus. Which was like outstanding money, and it's just straight cash, homie. But um, so fast forward, I it was a uh, junior year. I was like two weeks, I remember, before turning twenty-one, and we threw a party. We were all living off campus at this time, and he he looks at me. He's like, "Hey, Bobby Jenks just called me, who was the closer of the White Sox World Series team. He was awesome, six-three, like two hundred ninety pound, just farm strength, big dude." And he's like, hey, Bob Jenks wants us to come over and wants us to bring booze. Do you want to go? I'm like, fuck, yes, I do. So we, I go into the house. I scream, cops, cops, cops. I look outside, and everybody's just scattering down the street like rope. <laughs> and we got completely fucking obliterated drunk. And um, the next morning, we had a 7 a.m. We got home probably, I would guess, 5 a.m. Uh, the next morning. We had a tarp pool. Pull, um, at 7 a.m. I woke up at 7 a.m. to the alarm and I was supposed to be down there um, pulling the tarp off the field. And I'm just like, nope, not going to that. So we had an inner squad. This is for fall ball. We had an inner squad scrimmage. I think it was at nine o'clock. I show up to that and I showed up late to that. And I go to like get my cleats and put on my baseball pants and shit. And our number one, our, our best pitcher was pitching and, and our head coach is like, Williams, what are you doing? I'm like getting ready for practice coach. And he goes, no, you're not. Get your shoes on, get in the box right now. So I was wearing my buddy who was like six, six. He was on the basketball team. I was wearing T-Max that were like size <laughs> or some shit, just massive shoes. And I'm only five, seven, obviously, but the shoes were like this. I was wearing basketball shorts and like knee high baseball socks. Um, First pitch, I went yard. And it was it was the funniest thing ever. Everybody knew where I was because we were like, I was like, dude, I'm at fucking Bobby Jenks. <laughs> and first pitch, I went yard. I'm like doing the slowest trot ever. 
And then after uh, practice, he made me run sprints until I puked and I puked my brains out. boy. So that's my story. Dude, we, I had the exact same problem when I was playing ball in college. We all had a big party, and the next day we had like a 6 a.m. lift and then an inter-squad game for fall ball. Uh, but we were all like literally throwing up behind the dugout, and uh, it was the day that the they brought in like a Special Olympics baseball oh, team to watch us practice, and we were all just like so fu- – like I felt terrible. I was like, these, these guys are over here having like the time of their life, and we're all here like throwing up behind the dugout. So – Got to do it right, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, so feels good to be back doing shows. I'm glad we're all degenerates together. But uh, let's go into music news. Uh, we got new Arcade Fire, which was fucking outstanding. I don't know if you guys dug into it yet, but it feels like old Arcade Fire. It was really good. Uh, we got new Lil Dirk. We got new Still Woozy, who I know, Kenny, you fuck with Still Woozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super yeah. good. Uh, new Rosalia, who's a huge pop star. But the number one music news just dropped today. The Lollapalooza lineup came out, and the internet is not happy about it. I don't know if you guys saw the lineup. I- I don't I have that much of a problem. Lineup. What'd you say? I think it's an excellent lineup. I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was great. Well, I'm going to go real quick. Seeing, it's a great lineup, man. And well, you got Metallica. Okay. Got- I mean, I've been, everybody's done that with Metallica, though. Sure. But I mean, so you got Metallica, Dua Lipa, J. Cole, and Green Day as your top four headliners. That's not bad. I don't know why. Like, And then it's like Doja Cat, Machine Gun Kelly. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't look at this and think like this is a, an atrocity. Like people keep being like, oh, at what like what level do you look at this and you think like, oh, I actually know an artist. If you don't know who these artists are, where where are you? There's a lot of artists in here that are huge. Right. That's kind of the thing. I don't know. Like uh, it. I don't like the headliners. I would go see like all the side stage guys. Uh, like all right, we all know Machine Gun Kelly. Like I said at Ride Fest last year, fucking stunk out loud. Like, <laughs> I can I can hear his stink. Um, Will or. Green Day, fuck them, I don't care. Just do not care. I would like to go see Lil Baby, Kygo, and Doja Cat. And, and Metallica, but everybody's already seen Metallica. Glass Animals, Big Sean, we got Denzel Curry, Willow Tovelo, Manchester Orchestra, Bob Moses. Like I would love to see Manchester Orchestra. I saw that. Dashboard, I would... Dude, third line, you got Idols and Turnstile back-to-back. Dominic Fike is in there. Chelsea Cutler, shouts out Chelsea Cutler is in there. Manchester Orchestra, yeah, local man, natives. on earth right now? Like, I, dude, I don't know. Like, I will say, I maybe I don't really know the back half of the lineup, but it's a festival lineup. What the fuck do you expect? Yeah, of course. I, I don't know, look at... Everybody's going to be like blowing their fucking skeeting all over their hands about Machine Gun Kelly. And I hated him live. Hated. I, oh, Low Cut Connie's on here too? Fuck you. Yeah, that's the homies from Philly. But Dave, this is in your backyard. So this affects you way more than it affects me. Like, it's an what? awful weekend though, man. It's, it's, dude, it's like, it's so stereotypical to say this, but it's the absolute truth. I've been to Lala a handful of times I snuck in once with my sister when we were in high school, but, uh, it's like the entire city is just overran by douches. That mm. traffic fucking blows. Cause they, it, it's a bad weekend for sure. I mean, it's great for the economy and all that, blah, blah, blah. I don't, don't care. Do not give a shit. But like, I, I don't have any, any, like, I can't wait to go to riot fest again. I Dude, mean, I'm being real. I still got a bad taste from Lala because we never got to play it. Of all, you the never played Lala. We never played Lala. We only played a Lala pre-party with MGMT, where I told the story of their like got into a fight with their drummer about music. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think Kenny is actually like warped. My brain is thinking like once you've done the festivals, 
being amongst the unwashed masses sounds terrible. Oh, it's all fucking terrible. But it's also like, I don't know. I just looked at that. I'm a huge Green Day fan. So seeing them headline all the festivals, I was excited about that. And they gave you Metallica as a top line headliner. I think that's going to be weird, a weird vibe for the fact that like Jake Cole is also a headline. Like there's a very weird clashing of like fan groups there. Like I'll see how it goes. But dude, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about seeing Metallica. Like I'm, I'd be fucking, I've never seen Metallica before. You've never seen, oh, Metallica's like, they're, they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, It'd be like if John Mayer was headlining uh, 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 Lala. I'd like, I'd be like, dude, like, come on. Seen it, yeah. I don't Seen know. I, I, just, I think it would be funny if they had Doja Cat on stage and then cleared it, and like Metallica opens up with Ride the Lightning or something like that. Like, just completely fucking switch the vibe of the whole That's thing. The opposite. But. Yeah, poor that. Yeah, I mean. I don't, I don't, I was just shocked to see the hate that like I posted it on the on the Instagram today, and I did not get one positive comment. I like everybody was commenting like everybody's turning uh, into us starting to hate everything. <laughs> apparently, did we do this? If we we're, people's brains? we're doing our jobs then. I guess like, so. I'd see, I, would, I would be more inclined to go just check out bands. Like I would be like, okay, all right. Last uh, Lucille Croft. Do you guys know who Lucille Croft is? Nope. No fucking clue. But I would walk up and be like, Hey, that's, that's how I personally, and it's not, it's not apples to apples. That's how, um, uh, what's his face? Fucking the country singer. Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton. I saw him in 2000. It was the first year of the Windy City Smokeout back before it was like a huge, huge deal. And it was like 2014 or 15. And I'm not a big country music fan. Right. Um, in the middle of summer, absolutely. And that's when Windy City Smokeout is. There was maybe 50 or 60 people watching Chris Stapleton play. And I had lost my group. They're like getting food or something. And I'm just sitting there like looking around. I'm like, this guy is fucking amazing. I think never that's heard why, of that's why you're a lot of bands playing festivals and walking around all the different little small tents. I found yep. so many great bands that way. That's, that's I, what I'm saying. That's what I would be inclined to go for is that. But like, I don't care to see Metallica again. I don't like Machine Gun Kelly. Fuck them. Him. Do a lip. I, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She's a fucking yeah. stud. But I don't absolutely. know. Like, I but, think everybody like I will say, though, we've had a lot of arguments about different festival lineups this year. And I I've been pretty positive about all of them. Some of them I thought sucked. I didn't think this was that egregious, but I don't know. If you feel any differently, hit us up in the DMs, fucking comment on posts and shit like that. Hey, but. Let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you guys this. Good. If you, okay, I got this grand vision, like years down the road, we, we put on a festival tour. Who, give me eight bands. It can be any genre. It can be anywhere from AWOL Nation, Alt Rock to- uh, Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton. And, and and don't get and I don't want like necessarily the most popular like who's gonna put on the best like eight performers a little traveling circuit hitting cities. All right, uh, I would Sturgill Simpson would be one of my top picks. I think Sturgill would go across genres. He's too he's too smart for me. Like I his music's like I understand why people love it, but I'm listening to him like this is just like beyond my brain power. Give me the so grime. Cool. Give me the grimy issue. Anderson Pack would be my number one pick. That would be my number one pick. pick. That that's just me. Solid pick. Um, Father John Misty would be in there for me just to fuck people up. Uh, give me the grimiest rap possible. Like, give me give me fucking Raekwon or some shit like that. Like Wu Tang, Wu Tang, definitely, definitely. Me. Oh, did you Wu-Tang? say Gorillas? Phoenix, yo, so many. So I mean, fuck. I mean, there's so much good music out there. Kenny, are you a Gorillas fan? A huge. So am I. Dude, I, I I love, love that fucking and all the other side shit he's done. That I felt I like when I asked that question, like, are you gonna 
I was expecting either you absolutely love them or like fuck them. No, Gorillas is genius, dog. Genius. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. Incredible. His song Exploder podcast is really good too. Give me, I've heard he's such a douche in person. Like Damon Albarn's a total douchebag. I don't care. Like Gorillas is genius. Like listen it's to feel good. Genius. And I implore everybody listening to look up some acoustic concerts by the Gorillas. It'll blow your fucking mind into smithereens. It's incredible. Um yeah, no, Dave, that's a great question. That's something I would like to put out to the people. Just be like, yo, make an eight an eight band yeah, festival. Yeah. See it. what we see what we come up with. But um moving and through like here. Text each like someone from the each band or group or whatever, and then we'll do it. Do you want to know the secret? <laughs> All good, man. Uh let let's go. Uh the rest of the music news will quickly go through this. Apparently, Kanye was supposed to be uh, performing at the Grammys, but because of his beef with Trevor Noah, is no longer performing. Yawn. I don't like I don't even know that I want to see that. I, I'm skipping the Grammys. Like I'll recap it I'm later, just, but Trevor Noah can suck my balls. <laughs> I am so sick of the hyper politicization. Politization. Can you say it for me? Politization. Politization of everything, and he's like the ringleader of it. I'm like, I just don't care. I want. He seems watch. like a nice guy. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't want to hate on him. He also runs a political show, so it's kind of like you know. I kind yeah, of look at how John Stewart did it, but also exactly. two years. Trevor hasn't had an in studio audience, which has never happened Facts. on the show. So that's and super awkward. Fair. I'm like John Stewart and I like I I disagree with him on on plenty, but like I will I would love to sit down and like just get a beer and just talk world everything with him because I respect the fuck out of him. Trevor Noah comes off as fake as fuck to me. I can't stand him. I always find it weird when there's people who aren't from America whose whole job is to talk about American politics. It's, like it's a, a little odd. Oliver, although I do love John Oliver. I see. I've, I've, I used to love John Oliver and I've turned on John Oliver. John Oliver, it's so patronizing to me the fact that you're a British dude and all you do is talk about American politics. It's like when Canadian people comment on, like, yeah, but uh, he's doing what Trevor Noah is failing at. Sure. That's fair. I, I, and look, my sister fucking loves John Oliver, seen him live a bunch of times. I don't know. He's just a little bit too much for me. I don't know. But uh, last thing, I don't know if you guys have seen the Megan the Stallion, Tory Lanez thing going on. Have you guys, if familiar I, with this? Yeah, I have. No. So, it was about a year ago. Uh, Tory Lanez was arrested for shooting Megan the Stallion in the foot. Uh, and he contests that he didn't do it. And now facts are coming out that it actually might be true that she shot herself. Like, th- like there's all this shit going on. And it keeps getting brought up and brought up and brought up. Dave, you're going to like this, though. Uh, I think it was Coley wrote a good blog today. I didn't know this. Megan the Stallion's label is owned by Carl Crawford, former outfielder. Baseball player. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's beefing with him. So she's beefing on multiple, multiple, multiple fronts. And like, it seems like the public sentiment is turning against her. And I'm just so interested to see how this all plays out. And Most people who get shot in the foot shot themselves. Because Cheddar Bob. Yeah, Cheddar Bob. Burris, dog. Like, you remember when he shot himself because he's wearing sweatpants? Yeah. No. He didn't talk to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, let it play out in the courts. But dude, I can't believe they still keep talking about this. Like, it's Tory Lanez just sitting back, like I didn't do it, and then everything else is like, I don't, dude. Just we have to watch how this plays out. But I couldn't not bring up the fact that Carl Crawford is the one who owns her record label, and there is a random fucking little, little nugget right there, bro. You need to read Coley's blog; it's outstanding. But uh, let's go. Uh, let's go into on the list, off the list. I'll start out, then Kenny, then Dave. Uh, my on the list is Kid Cudi. Uh, I'm not even the biggest Kid Cudi fan in the world, but I kind of love the way this guy's living his life. He just starred in a movie for A24 called X. It's like a horror slasher film. 
from that giant studio they have over there now. He is now officially writing, producing, and starring in a movie for Netflix. And in the Ultimate Flex move, just announced he's leaving social media today. I love that. Shouts I, out Kid Cudi. That, we were talking about that on the, uh, on the uh, interview from today. The, like, when, I, when you know you've made it. Kenny, when did you actually, you weren't on the interview. When did you know you made it? Uh, when did I know that I made it? Our first, uh, which is actually probably our fourth show, our first sold out show, uh, which was in Austin, Texas. We went to play a 400 cap room, like sale was maybe played on three stations at the time. And we went, we played Stubbs indoors. I was just going to say, was it Stubbs? Stubbs indoors. Uh, and to our surprise, you know, we thought we were going to play for like radio people, really. 400 cap rooms sold out girls crying in the front row all of us on stage being like what the fuck is happening i think that was a big uh a big click for us and then there was another time when we played we opened but when we played madison square garden and we got to stand on the court in the middle before sound check and be like just look around and be like yeah, it's a, it's a fucking palace, man. Yeah. That is the dude. Yeah. That is the most surreal feeling so, ever. Dave, to be this one too, headlining the Aragon Ballroom. It's another. There one. There's a lot of. I've actually never been there. You're like Jesus fucking Christ, man. There is no more surreal feeling than being in an athletic stadium that you're about to play as a band and looking around and being like, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Like, was that your moment in in MSG? Yeah, that yeah for sure, and that was like that was an arena tour. So of which we did two of them back to back. So we were just in all these arenas all the time, the Nets, Knicks, and all this shit. And you're like, this is fucking mental. Headlining festivals. When we started headlining festivals, that was one. When we did Coachella, we had like a 7:30 slot on Saturday on the main stage. So dope. That was one. Yeah, yeah. doing TV, your first TV performance. We did Fallon, Kimmel, Conan, Letterman. Walking Who were you? Letterman building, seeing the the marquee on the outside with your name on it. You know, it's like who was the who was the stadium tour you're talking about? That was that Imagine Dragons. Uh, we did one with Fall Out Boy in Paris, and then we did one with uh, Prophets of Rage, which was uh. Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill and Public Enemy put together. Yeah, no big deal. Fuck you. Uh, Kenny, who's off or who's on your list? Uh, on my list this week, and it comes with a little media attachment, is fucking Oliver Tree, dude. I cannot get enough of this guy. Dave, have you by chance seen the Logan Paul podcast at all called Impulsive? No, I know what it is, but right. I don't. Oliver Tree goes on it. <laughs> it's like he ends up leaving and cussing everybody out. Like Logan Paul's trying to to brand his new energy drink, and Oliver Tree comes in with the exact same energy drink, just said something different, like called something different. Like yeah, uh, Logan Paul's is called Prime, yeah. and Oliver Tree came on to pitch his own called Slime. Let's see if I can <laughs> let me see that you guys can hear this. This is just a quick snippet of one of my favorite parts. It's dude, look at Josh. You're a singer, dude. I've seen your tracks. No, bro. Well, this is YouTube bullshit. I don't got I, seen this I don't shit. got hundreds of millions of streams on Spotify. This guy has 15 million monthly listeners on Wait, Spotify. Bro. Let's go. Dog. On the on the way over here, I was listening to that song of yours that goes, Life goes on and on and on and on and on. But I'm gonna be honest with you, dog. That song sucks. <laughs> Yo, like homeboy's the fucking best. It was an hour and a half of like I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard the whole time. He goes on to tell a story about Burning Man, like taking drugs and freaking out and all this shit. Turns out it was a story that Logan Paul had told like a couple months ago. Oh. <laughs> By the end of the story, Logan's like, wait, 
Are you telling my story? <laughs> Yo, Oliver's a G on my list for life. Dude, I just imagine all the people who don't know who Oliver Tree is listening to that podcast and being like, what the fuck is this? Like, that's that's outstanding. That's a great call, Kenny. Uh, Dave, who's on your list? Uh, I'm going with salami. I just had a salami sandwich for lunch. It was fucking great. Hell Hello. yeah, bro. With that. How do you do your salami sandwich? What do you put on it? Well, this was from, uh, it's the place that we do business with. This is not a free ad. I would, this is uh, me speaking true to the heart. It's the best sandwich shop in Chicago. Uh, JP Graziano's. We do a ton of stuff with them. And I just moved into the neighborhood, his neighborhood. So I'm like, I got to go. I had it, had it probably two, three months, probably since the new year, actually. And uh, I was like, God damn, I really fucking love salami. It's salami mm. and capicola. And it was like a whole month. Maj Paja shit, but that's good shit, man. Genoa salami capital. Hell yeah, dog. I think I had a salami sandwich every day for lunch in grade school. Just oh yeah, that's the ultimate like whip it up for the kids. That's how you know your dad that's how you know my dad made my sandwich that morning that was just like salami and bread. Like Pops wasn't putting any effort in there. Dude, my dad used to I used to get made fun of in grade school. My dad wouldn't use plastic bags. My dad would wrap everything in my lunch in aluminum foil. So I would have a sandwich chips not in a bag he would just plop the chips in the middle of aluminum foil and ball it up and then like pickles in a fucking aluminum foil ball <laughs> i absolutely fucking hate myself my parents would do kind of shit like that too and i'd be so embarrassed that uh, i'd be like oh my god can't we just get to block bags mom jesus christ like what am i i'm looking fast forward 30 years and i'm like what the fuck was i why did i care why did i care Kenny? why do we care about that no idea it's fucking stupid uh, off the list for me is Spotify. And this is not a political thing. This isn't a Joe Rogan thing. This isn't on the guest list thing. Last week, I've received plenty of DMs about this. Our Spotify, our feed on Spotify is now down to one episode. There was 143 episodes up. I have been going back and forth with our distributor and Spotify. And they are both pointing the finger at each other and saying that they don't know what the solution is. I didn't do anything differently. Nothing changed. It's the exact same thing as I've been doing the entire time. So Spotify, fuck yourself. Fix our goddamn feed. There's no reason this should be happening. There's no number for me to call. I can't talk to a real human being. It's been a total pain in the ass. Fuck you, Spotify. You piece of shit. Kenny, who's off your list? I got a good one off my list. I don't think it'll beat mine. Okay, well, Dave, right. first off, fuck off. Second off, Olive Garden. <laughs> Let me why? tell you why. I, like an idiot, decided to take my wife out for date night. We saw Batman. Excellent movie. Great movie. Um, and I went to take her to dinner beforehand, and I, like an idiot, didn't make a reservation in L.A. County on a Saturday. Idiot. Not there. Too long of a wait. Went to another restaurant. Too long of a wait. By the time we were like, <laughs> it was almost time for the movie, we were like, fuck. There's an olive garden across the street. And I was like, you know what, man? I used to eat it back in the day when I lived in Florida. And like, yo, pasta, what could go wrong? An F. minus. Just F for food, presentation, cleanliness, stomach afterwards. Like, <laughs> F, man. I, and I'm disappointed because I thought I was really going to love it. Like, breadsticks, soup, salad, shrimp, scampi. No, fucking F. <laughs> Dave, your Dude, thoughts. Dude, Kind of makes me. I haven't been all garden in in fucking years, but that okay. So I got a big family. There's six of us, six kids. So eight of us. So for birthday dinners, my parents weren't taking us out to get these like five star restaurants. They didn't have money anyways, but um, especially money to support eight kids. That's like you know three thousand dollar dinner if you want to do it actually right. So we would go to like Olive Garden, and that was like when I was like, holy shit, this is like rich people food. 
I loved it. I haven't had it in years. And it breaks my heart to hear that there's like, you walk in and there's like napkins on the floor. I never been to an Olive Garden before. That would have been like, that, that would have been sacrilege in my household, like growing up. That'd be like, Kenny, if you like, if there was like a fast food version of uh, Vietnamese food, I'm sure your mom would have been like, fuck that shit. We're not going there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I agree with that, Kenny. I've never been there, but I agree. Uh, Dave, off your list. Stepping in dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> I stepped in dog shit about 10 minutes before I hopped on. And when I said, I'll be there in five to eight minutes, I texted the group, I'm going to be a few minutes late. I was sitting there on my back porch with like a stick trying to get it out from like the, the creases in the sole of my, of my shoe. Is it your own dog's poop or was it a random dog's poop? It was a random dog's poop. Uh, yeah. You got a hose of that condo or what, man? I mean, it's 40 degrees here, Kenny. There's no cold. <laughs> oh, shit. It's 81 today here. It was actually 70-something yesterday. Now we're hitting a cold spell, but we're, almost, we're done with it for the most part. God almighty. Well, that was an interesting way to end the episode. <laughs> uh, so thank you to Sam James for coming on this week. Uh, we have a huge interview on Thursday. Can we drop who that is? Yeah, I think it's going to fucking happen. So, you know, he says he'll we be got, here. We got Peanut from 311. Yeah. 311, let's go, baby. On tour right now. Uh, that's my shit right there. I've always talked about that. Like, from day one, that's like my, like bread and butter genre of music i figured dave would be excited about that and dante so i, I, I want to make sure all four of us can be there because it's going to be great and like he's a super sweet funny dude and like even i'm sure our guy rob picard like, knows like that's incredible they're like name another band i mean you can name any of them but like she's like they're one of those bands that like if you say you don't like 311 you're really just saying it just to say it like Dude, I'm about to come. I'm about. I'm about to come original on Thursday, dude. Oh, I'm coming original. What? Name another big band from Nebraska, dude. They like it's incredible. I didn't know they were from Nebraska. Wait, S. A. Martinez. S. A. Martinez is from Hold Nebraska. Oh. Yep. Dude, I bet you if I pulled it up on my uh uh old I so I got this you know the white MacBooks yeah. Like 12, it would have been like 12 years ago. I had one in college. First computer I ever bought. It was a thousand bucks. I was like, this is the best fucking thing I've ever bought. And it ended up crashing years later. It's old as fuck now, but it still turns on. And I got a picture on it of my buddy in bed with, uh, we'll call her a heavy set chick in Panama City <laughs> Beach for spring break. And that's the only reason I have that computer still, is in case I ever need to blackmail him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, but, all mixed up by 311. I, I don't know if they still do it on iTunes or not, but you can like filter by amount of time songs have been played. That was my number one by like thousands. I've listened to that song thousands of times. Dude, that's wow. a band. They're like fish where they have this fucking diehard fan base that like oh, yeah, go yeah. that go on cruises and shit, like 311 cruises. They have their own day. I've 311 seen day. At least 10 times. One time, I think even with Incubus, when we had Jose on here the other week or whatever, I was talking to him about it. Like, what other band can tour like 311 can tour with Deftones and it somehow just works? Like it works. What other yeah. is a bass solo for 20 minutes in the middle of a set? Like they're incredible, dude. Bro, and he's a lot like uh Frasco. He always rocks a Lakers jersey too. I've yeah, seen yeah, people yeah. rock a yeah, Lakers yeah. jersey yeah, all the Lakers time. So. One of the best bass players fucking in the world, and he's incredible. And he's rocking Warwick's. Like he's rocking like some fu that's that, the first like four years of Foxtrot. Our bass player played a Warwick just because Peanut played one. It was the Peanut model Warwick. So uh, shouts out 311, shouts out Sam James, shouts out us. We'll see you guys next week. Guys, anything else for me? Hell no. Yeah, no surprises there. Fuck you guys. We love you. <laughs>